Bills. Tony and I were just talking baseball. And I was talking to him about one of my favorite leagues of all time, the Negro Leagues. And he was talking about what Bobby Valentine said the other day about having baseball expand to Japan. How would that look? It could be great. Look at what the NBA is now doing. You got the number one player in the NBA draft, a foreign player. You got the number one player in the sport, a foreign player. The San Antonio Spurs, great dynasty, were all foreign players, really. Duncan, Ginobili, Tony Parker. Those guys were all foreign players. You're seeing the absolute thing that David Stern wanted. That was to build the brand abroad. The NBA is enormous in China right now. Asian countries love the NBA. That's where a lot of the economic money comes from. And by the way, now that the Saudis are able to invest, the NBA, whether or not they get giant ratings or not, it's not going to matter because there's going to be a financial investment from the Saudis. And this is what baseball has to do. There's a ton of money. And, you know, we were talking a little bit about Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani may not be the greatest baseball player of all time, but he's the greatest talent I've ever seen in baseball history. And you can go back into the 20s and into the teens. Nobody's ever seen anything like this, including Babe Ruth. Ruth didn't have to travel to the West Coast. He never went past the Mississippi River, albeit he was on trains. You didn't have to go and do the things that Otani's doing now. Um, Otani... Well, and you know what's crazy? Here, here's one of the most incredible things about the Shohei Otani story. He's going to be the very first story. Think about this, Tone. He's going to be the very first story that Major League Baseball has had where all of a sudden, after October in the World Series, baseball goes into hibernation during the football season. There's actually going to be a baseball story on what the Angels do with Shohei Otani. For the first time, there's going to be off-season noise for baseball. It's a great thing for baseball because it goes into hibernation and the NFL dominates everything in the fall. Baseball's never heard of until you get to the, until you get to the spring meetings and you get into the winter meetings. You never hear anything. But you're going to hear a player who's going to sign a 10-year, $600 million contract, and he'll be the richest North American athlete in any sport. He's going to make north of $60 million per year, depending on what market he's in. But it's going to be a story. Just it's going to be a story. Baseball doesn't have very many. I thought the All-Star game was great. Always is, you know. But to me, when I was a kid, it was – hey – those of you that are my age, north of 50, let me say this to you. The baseball all-star game, as good as that thing was last night, that's not like it used to be when we were raised and watching all those superstars play in National League and the American League. You know, I mean, when they did, and, and you guys do know what changed interleague play. I don't think you guys understand what happened don't you remember the home run race between Sosa and McGuire? The American League benefited nothing from that. There was no interleague play. And all the superstars that were in the National League at the time, Bonds and all those guys, were on one side of the aisle of the National League. The American League really didn't have guys in a home run chase 
So what they wanted to do was be able to kind of like generate their superstars throughout the entire majors instead of just on one side. And it was just the National League. It was Cardinals and Cubs. And that home run race in 98 changed baseball into viewing habits forever. You used to stop in a bar and they would do cutaways, major... Tone, they were major networks doing cutaways on Sosa McGuire's home run chase. Major cutaways. You, you'd be watching a television show. They'd do a cutaway. He's on Maris's number. How's it going, Ray? Baseball now, the greatest story of all time is Otani. Hey, and you want to hear something that's even more? We'll move on to football here in a second. We're 15 days out now from the start of training camp. You want to hear something? In six years, Shohei Otani's been in Los Angeles with the Angels. They've never finished above 500. So you didn't win with them. You got a trading deadline coming up. If you let them walk in the offseason, you get nothing for them and you never did anything with them. If you're Artie Moreno, the owner of the Angels, you, you got to put on the gas pedal and ask his people right now, hey, do you plan on testing free agency? And if you do, you got to start the process of moving this guy. And get something for him. The Angels could probably set themselves up for the next 10 years with a treasure trove of picks or players for Otani. He's going to command, he's going to command the team's future. And if the Angels are smart, they move him. Here, here's what you do. Think about it, Tone. Think about it. Anybody who's a baseball fan. What did you do with Mike Trout? If you're Otani's people, you had both those guys on your team. The two best players in the game. And you can't do shit with them. That shows you how hard baseball is, dude. If you have the two best football players on your team, you're going to be competitive. The Angels aren't competitive. Okay, I would trade Tout and Otani for the biggest haul in Major League Baseball history. Dude, watch this. Asking the Yankees for um, for Aaron Judge is not out of the realm of possibilities. Who would you rather have on your team, Aaron Judge or Shohei Otani? Who would you rather have on your team in Philly, Bryce Harper or Shohei Otani? It's not out of the realm of possibilities. There's nobody in baseball that is not tradable with that guy. He, he, Nolan Arenado, St. Louis, would you trade him for Otani? Of course you would. And that still wouldn't. Here, here's something to think about for the Phillies. If the Angels called the Phillies and they don't have anything on their farm system, so they're not in the room here. They got money, but they have no draft pick. Well, they got draft picks. Okay, so you call Dave Dombrowski up and you go, hey, I'll trade you Shohei Otani for six first-rounders and Bryce Harper. Would you do it? You bet your ass you're going to do it. He's going to win you 15 games and hit you 50 homers. There's nobody that will make a bigger impact on your baseball team than Otani because he pitches and he hits. He's an impact guy. Harp, JM would keep Harper over Otani. Of course he would. Again, right? 
Okay, let's move on here. What up, keyboard? Appreciate it. Guy's a special player, man. He's he's a he, he's. The Angels could turn around their entire franchise if they trade Otani. He's going to resign. I I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Why would you stay in Los Angeles and be with the Angels when the Angels are a non-factor in that market? Okay? All right. Let's move on here. 60 names have been released on the Hall of Fame. Jason Cole will be with us in hour number three at 530. Um, I saw Rune Arledge's name on that list. I don't know if any of you actually know the story. Um, Rune Arledge was a friend of mine and actually a guy who got... Do you guys know who got me into broadcasting? Have I told the story before who got me into broadcasting? Do you guys know who helped facilitate my start into my career? Do you guys know who helped me? Do you guys know who helped me start in broadcasting? I had a lot of help from from key people. And actually... Um, Rune Arledge was also a key factor in my, in, in, in my development here. Here's who helped me get involved when I was a young guy and I lived in Stanford, Connecticut, a friend of mine by the name of doc Santanella, um, was a dentist in Westport and he was a big Maryland. That's how he got to Maryland. He was a big time Maryland alum. This is really how I got there. And he had been recruiting me since my sophomore year. Well, he was actually best friends with Jim McKay. Jim McKay lived in Westport. And Doc Santanella would bring occasionally Jim McKay to my high school football games. And I became friends with Jim McKay and the McManus family. We would go fishing. Uh, My grandfather loved him. Uh, Doc Santanella. Uh, loved the fact that Jim McKay would come to my games, friends with the Robostellis. And I got a chance numerous times to go fishing with Jim McKay on Doc Santanella's um, uh, pond that he had in his backyard. It was a really giant, like, lake, and it was really awesome. And we had a great time. And I was always really cool, and it was kind of crazy because my high school teammates knew that Jim McKay used to come and see me and this is the face of wide world of sports. Like Jim McKay would come from like Lillehammer or some crazy place. And there would Jim McKay be with Doc Santanella on a Saturday afternoon watching me play football. It was crazy. And, the McMahon- and that's how I became friends with Sean McManus, who's been on this network at least five times. He's a chairman of CBS Sports. So, you know, after I got done with my um, my my pro football career, I contacted Jim McKay and I said, Jim, can you help me? And he goes, absolutely. You want to be in broadcasting? You've always said this. And I was like this. I said, okay. And so, you know, he introduced me to Rune Arledge. And then Rune Arledge introduced me to everybody at ABC Sports. Frank Gifford, who was also a friend of my uncle, Andy Robostelli, also put a word in for Rune Arledge. So I go up and meet. I think Rune at the time was the chairman of ABC News. He had made the transition from ABC Sports to ABC News. And I went up and met him 
And he goes, go see Jack O'Hara. I think I've told you guys this part of the story. It's a really tragic ending to this thing. But uh, Jack O'Hara was the head of ABC Sports after Rune had gone to ABC News. And um, I was friends with Jack O'Hara. And unfortunately, I think I've told some of you this, but uh, Jack O'Hara was in a TWA flight 800 with his family that exploded over Long Island Sound. And I had met him. He says, when I get back from the French Open, he had his entire family with him. Um, we'll talk about you joining ABC Sports on Saturday, college football as a sideline reporter. And unfortunately, Jack O'Hara was killed in that flight. And I never had the gonads to call Rune back because I just thought it was uncool. I mean, I, I, I was going to be on ABC Sports and I was going to be a sideline reporter. Crazy, crazy how life I, – I had just talked to him before he took off for Paris for um, the French Open. And we had a great lunch. We talked, and ABC was going to hire me. And I just never called ABC back, okay? Just never called them back, but Rune was so great. And you got to remember Rune Arledge, man. The guy's the founder of Monday Night Football. Uh, everyone remembers those tones. Dude, this guy was one of the absolute greats of all time. So, okay, so let's move on from that. But I'm glad to see Rune Arledge and his name is on the contributors list because he should be a Hall of Famer. His impact on the National Football League and on Monday Night Football, Monday Night doesn't have the same, doesn't have the same star that it used to have. But what he did for football and what he did for ABC's Monday Night Football with Cosell and Gifford and Don Meredith, that's, that will always be entrenched in the history of the National Football League. Just really absolutely, okay? I mean, unbelievable. Okay, so let's do this. We've been, we've been going over Eagle position rooms and the opponents that you guys are going to play. And I'm going to look at week nine here in a second. That's the Dallas Cowboys. And so... We're going to look at that. We're also going to look at the cornerback room. And we're going to look at your cornerback position as we're now, what is it, 15 days out from the start of training camp. All right. Let's start here. And by the way, there was a comment that a guy made about Eagle fans um, from San Francisco. Awesome. My God almighty, you Eagle fans are incredibly hated. I love it. I love it. Guy calls you scumbags. I'm going to get into it in a minute here, and I'll talk. I love it. You should laugh at that. They're just making the game bigger. Don't act like it's a rival, and it'll piss them off more. Don't, don't give in. Don't argue back with an inferior opponent. The Cowboys are your only rival. The rest of them are roadkill. Roadkill. The Niners are roadkill. Treat them that way. They'll hate you more. 
Let me start there instead of going into the Cowboys first because we'll get into them. So this sportscaster out at the game in San Francisco, and I worked in that market. I actually like it. Called the Eagle fans, and I'm not going to go all into it, scumbags. And I saw the, you know, the, the back and forth. I'm like, don't give in to that. Treat them like they're roadkill. You will piss them off more when you don't acknowledge them. We crushed you in the NFC title game. We beat the fuck out of your quarterback. Your coach and your wide receiver are crying the entire offseason. Why in the world would I come down to your level? I wouldn't. Man, I'll tell you something, Eagle fans. You're better than I thought. I admire it now. I thought you just jumped on Sills' shit. You got a guy 3,500 miles away calling you a scumbag? That's so great. Holy shit, do I love that. Bro. Go have a parade. That's all San Francisco has today. They put stupid parades on, and they've got tents in the street. You don't have a football team that can beat us. You don't have a quarterback that will beat us. Why am I acknowledging you again? Well, if we would have had Joe Namath or Joe Montana or Steve Young, we would have beat you. I'm like, dude, you need a binky and a whoopee and like a bassinet to lay your little head in. Dude, Eagle fans, man, I admire you, man. Congratulations. You have pissed off an entire city organization to the point where they can't stand you. Oh, my God. I used to love that type of reputation. I embrace that type of reputation. I want people to hate me. I want every time I step on the field, you look at me as your biggest game. Not me looking at you as the biggest game. My biggest game every year is the team in Dallas. You are roadkill. Okay? (laughs) hey i say go put a parade i i tweeted out dude go put a parade on it's all you're good at go because you're not good at building quarterbacks anymore okay and you're not even really the san francisco 49ers you're the santa clara niners that's where they serve those little wiener dogs on toothpicks and white wine spritzers you see in philly They eat hot dogs and drink beer like men. They don't eat little wiener dogs and drink white wine spritzers with a lime in it. Nobody does that in Philly. You might get your ass kicked if you brought a white wine spritzer into section 43. Nobody drinks white wine spritzers at Lincoln Financial. I guarantee they don't even sell white wine spritzers. 
San Francisco, they probably got an entire floor of white wine spritzers. Okay? Little wiener dogs. I guarantee you, they 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 serve caviar there too. They got to. I mean, you brought me caviar at a football game, I'd punch you in the face. Dude, bring me a hot dog, and I want a ballpark hot dog, and I want a beer. I want to be fed like a man, not like a guy who drinks white wine spritzers. Come on, man. Could you see a guy in Philly tone with a white wine spritzer with his thumb like this? He's got a white wine spritzer with his hand up like this. Hey, man, can you believe it? What's going on in the third quarter? Can you? I can't believe Kyle Shanahan is wearing that shirt the way he's wearing it. He should have his top button buttoned all the time. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, man. White wine spritzers. <laughs> uh, man. San Francisco. Don't worry about it. It's the Cowboys, man. <laughs> it's the Dallas Cowboys. That's your rival. <laughs> they can't, the, the Eagle fans are mean and scumbags. <laughs> hey, can you imagine you're sitting in the stands and you're a Niner fan and you looked over and called an Eagle fan a scumbag and mean. You know what he would look at you and say? Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Where are you from again? Oh, you're from the weird coast. The West Coast, right? It's not the West Coast. It's the Weird Coast. Oh, 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 yeah. You're from the Weirdo Coast. You know, there's East Coast, and then there's Weirdo Coast. So you're from the Weirdo Coast. Okay. Yeah, all right. <laughs> white wine spritzers. Dude, they didn't even serve white wine spritzers at Raider games. You had Hell's Angel guys show up. At, that's why I love Raider fan, too. Raider fan, man, get this. You, you you had guys on Harleys, and you had Hell's Angels guys, Sonny Berger and all them guys. They would show up under Harleys and their Indians, and they would have American Express cards. Craziest thing you've ever seen. Here's a guy giving, like, buying beer. So Hell's Angel guys buying me a beer at the Oakland Alameda Coliseum, right? Pulls out of American Express. I'm like, now that's dope. This guy's got an AE card. And he's, he's on an Indian, and he's got an Hells Angels patch. I'm like, holy shit. But if you go to Niner games, cheese, white wine spritzers, and can I have a napkin? Dude, nobody serves napkins at a football game. You don't get napkins at a football game. Can I have a napkin and a white wine spritzer and a little wiener dog? Can I have a couple napkins, please? No, you don't get napkins at football games because you smear it on your face. You you have hot dog juice every. You got it all over you. It's on your shirt because you eat like a man <laughs> and a football fan. Come on, man. <laughs> White wine spritzes, but you guys are scumbags. Thank you. <laughs> Still. <laughs> uh, Sills has jewels the size of pool balls. Absolutely. 
and they click together, my friend, when you know I'm coming. How you doing? Boom! Let's get to the Cowboys here. <laughs> All right, enough with those dudes, the 40 whiners. From now on, they're the 40 whiners. Well, you know, they're scumbags and they're mean in Philly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're a scumbag. Really? Who's calling me that? A guy who lives in a tent and has parades in the Castro every day. It's all right. I'm all right with you calling me anything. You can call me anything you want. Just don't call me on the phone. <laughs> call me anything you want. Niner fans. Really? <laughs> yeah. They got to get in their BMWs and their Ferraris and drive down to Santa Clara through wine country to get to the stadium. You got to go over to 95. You got to kind of go down into the section down there where Wells Fargo is to get to Lincoln Financial. <laughs> I've actually been there a bunch of times. All right, let's move on. I'm, I'm sick of those guys. I'm totally sick of them. All right, Cowboys. You do agree with me. The Cowboys are your biggest rival. It's not the 40 Winers. It's the Cowboys. Because of the success that they've had against you. I'll ask you this question before I go into how I'm looking at the 2023 Dallas Cowboys. Have they closed the gap to you guys? This offseason, have they closed the gap and have the Eagles kind of come back a little bit because of some of the losses on defense? Have they? Okay. Have they closed the gap? Have they? How good are they? By the way, two straight years of 12 wins. 2021 and 2022, the Cowboys' 12-win team. So it's like the first time in a while they've shown some consistency. Um, has Dallas closed the gap on Philly? Okay. Have they? No, but they're not far behind us. Jerry Jones is still alive. Yes, he is, champion. <laughs> yes, he is. Okay. Here's my takeaway of the Cowboys and how I see them on July 12th. By the way, we're going to look at the Eagle Corners here in a bit, too, as we're looking at position rooms here, okay? So here's the Cowboys. The Cowboys just don't win big games. I can't think of the last big game that they were in that they won that mattered. And I'm not talking regular season. In the last 26 years, what's the biggest game they've been in? I can't pick one. I actually can't think of one. In 26 years, maybe the divisional game against the Packers at Lambeau was probably the biggest game that they were in with a true shot to maybe win a Super Bowl. Okay? Other than that, I can't, I can't think of a game that they were in where I went, hey, man, the Cowboys just won a giant game. They do not win big games like the Eagles do. The Eagles win. The Niners win big games. The, the Niners, the Seahawks, and the Eagles in the NFC win big games in the last 25 years. They, 
They win. Cowboys don't. Think of it. 49ers won an NFC title game, and they won another one with Harbaugh. Okay, so I mean, at least they're winning big games, getting to the big game. Seahawks have won a Super Bowl, been to the big game. Holmgren even brought them. The Eagles, their record speaks for itself since 2000. What's the Cowboys done? What have the Cowboys done in 26 years? So we start there. And as I said, two straight years of 12 wins, what's it resulted in? Underachieving. Jerry Jones has now owned the team for 34 years and has not been able to duplicate what he did early on in his first six years owning the team. They've just not been able to do it. Forte, San Francisco has a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal Italian festival. I've been to it. It's fantastic. North North Park is absolutely sensational. North Park is great. It's a great Italian section. Very underrated and really awesome. Absolutely. Pasta Pomodoro up there. The church is up there too. Um, I, I, it's a, it's where DiMaggio's from too, by the way. Um, Cowboys offense, Mike McCarthy takes over the play calling. Brian Schottenheimer has also been brought in as OC. Dan Quinn's over on the defensive side. Um, would you guys agree with me in Dallas last year? The Cowboys missed Amari Cooper. And I thought that was evident early. Do you guys agree? The Cowboys missed Amari Cooper. I thought you saw that early on in the season. That he was missed. Okay? Now, they had to get rid of him because of the $20 million number. And they, I think they kept the wrong guy. I think they should have jettisoned Ezekiel Elliott and kept Amari Cooper and ate the money on Zeke. Because it affected Dak. Okay? It affected Dak Prescott. Cowboys should win 13 games, but maybe win 11 if they're lucky. Eagle. I, here, here, Michael Gallup was awful all year long. He was just awful. Him and Dak never really connected. I thought there was a better connection with Michael Gallup and Cooper, uh, Cooper Rush than actually with Dak Prescott. Michael Gallup. To me, in my opinion, his 2022 campaign was not very good. And quite frankly, that's why they went out and got Brandon Cooks and they needed to upgrade the position. Um, It became the Tony Pollard show. It totally became the Tony Pollard show. Catching footballs out of the backfield, uh, running with the football. It was the Tony Pollard show. And when Zeke ended up getting hurt, That was really the end of Ezekiel Elliott because you saw what he brought to the team. You could put him in the slot. You could line him up out wide, run him in between the tackles. He was a running back version of Debo Samuel. Okay? And it was greasy good for Cleveland because he still had 1,000 yards in Cleveland too as a wide receiver there. So he was missed in Dallas. And that's why the addition of Brandon Cooks. Um, Here's what they did do though. Um, they did end Brady's NFL career 31-14. They beat the 
the Buccaneers, but I don't think anyone looks at that and goes, that's a giant win. It was a playoff win, which is important. But that Buccaneer team was pretty much out of gas. And they did win it on the road. Then they had to play and turn around and play against San Francisco. Okay? Then they turned around and had to play San Fran. And that was a really physical football game between the Niners and the Cowboys. It was a pretty good football game, which the Niners ended up coming out on top, obviously. Um, Here's the one thing, though, with Dallas. Does Dallas have a Super Bowl defense? I think they do. But what is the one stat that is the most unpredictable stat when you're talking? Do you guys know what the most unpredictable stat is when it comes to uh, playing defense in the NFL? What's the most unpredictable stat that people sometimes bring up all the time? What's the most unpredictable statistic that a defensive football team can have? And that you should never rely on it. You should never rely on this one stat. Exactly. Turnovers. They had a lot of turnovers. You know how that goes in peaks and valleys? Some years you have some. Some years the ball doesn't bounce your way. You can't count on that. The only two things that you can count on are defending the run and defending the pass. That's it. If you're counting on turnovers, you're not building a good defense. Turnovers come and go. If you're lucky to get it on the other end, hey, good for you if your turnover ratio is high. But it's the most unpredictable statistic that you will put on a defense each and every single year. Oh, we're going to count for a lot of turnovers. No, you're not. You have no idea about that statistic. But you can do something about stopping the run and being better in your pass defense. Okay? Seals, personally, I believe Dak is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. He's a top 10 quarterback who just didn't have a top 10 season last year. But there comes to a point in a player's career when you have to stop talking about how many numbers he puts up. We know what Dak is capable of statistically doing it, but now it's about winning the big games, bringing something to true value to Dallas. He just hasn't proven he can do that. And I've said this yesterday to you. McNabb had a better career than Dak. Okay. McNabb won more. McNabb won. Hey, you know what the one thing Eagle guy does? Uh, He lost this NFC championship game. Didn't play well in this NFC championship game. Played pretty decent in this NFC championship game. Didn't play that great in the Super Bowl. At least he got there. At least he put his team in contention every year. Seals, the Cowboys' best chance at Super Bowl was 2016. They had everything working for them. I think Dak has a little similarities to Wentz because he has shown he can't play lights out. He has peaked. Um, the Phillies, we're here. We're here with him. We're here. And I agree with you in tone. Ace, I agree with you in tone. Dude, if not now, when? If he doesn't do it now, he'll never do it. You know how many times you see quarterbacks like Jonathan Gannon who go through seven, eight teams and then win an MVP? late in your career when you're 35, 36 years old and you lead a team to the Super Bowl. You know how rare that is? That's, that is one of the rarest things you can do. Like all of a sudden, Dak's going to turn a switch and he's going to be Roger Stallback or Troy Aikman. I don't know. 
And if I'm saying I don't know after all these years, I'm not paying you $49 million. Like, let me say this to you. Here's what I would do. If this guy doesn't win this year, I start looking around the room and I start looking at places like Green Bay and I start looking at places like Tampa Bay and I start looking at places like maybe Arizona that have draft commodities that I could trade this guy to so I can rebuild the quarterback position. If Brock Purdy could get to an NFC title game, make a 900 grand, I could do that as well by being a team that built my team the same way that the Eagles, the Patriots, and Seattle built their team as they were waiting for their quarterbacks to mature into their contracts. Dallas overpays at key positions all the time. They're going to overpay Michael Parsons. They're going to make Michael Parsons the highest paid defensive player in the league. He's not the best player in the league. When I'm paying Aaron Donald $30 million a year, Aaron Donald's the best defensive player in the league. I have to pay that. When I see the numbers that Devontae Adams puts up, no matter if it's Aaron Rodgers or Derek Carr, I know what I'm getting with him. But at wide receiver, you know the only wide receiver that has actually made their quarterback better last year was A.J. Brown. Think of it. What did Tyreek Hill deliver for Miami at $25 million? Nothing. What did Devontae Adams deliver in Las Vegas? Nothing, and the quarterback got fired. Hopkins just got fired in Arizona. AJ's the only guy. You know why? Because Tennessee underutilized him, didn't know what they had. Philly knew what he was, turned him into what he was, and let him be who he was, and it made Jalen Hurts a better season. And it made him a better player. Those are all the facts that, see, again, here's something that I'm doing here. I'm telling you exactly what things and how it played out. Here's what you got going on in Minnesota with Justin Jefferson. Jefferson is the Kirk Cousins version of the wide receiver position. Hoss, you can have all those numbers, you can have all those catches. You can be on pace for the greatest numbers of all time. What separates you from Jerry Rice? Jerry Rice had Joe Montana, who won ball games. Your guy doesn't. He'll have the empty calorie stats that Tim Brown had in Oakland with the Raiders. Okay? He'll have the same numbers as Tim Brown. I don't ever remember Tim Brown in a game that mattered. Somehow he got to the Hall of Fame. Sure. With no impact in the game at all. Zero impact. Quan goes, he had Bill Walsh. Okay. Bill Walsh and Joe Montana. And Cherry Rice. Well, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Sure. And let's not forget, Quan, Bill Walsh drafted a guy that no one wanted. Walsh looked at it. You don't draft a wide receiver that runs a 4-8 and a 40. Bill Walsh saw through that. You think Howie Roseman would have drafted Jerry Rice at the combines if Rice ran a 4-8? Ask yourself that. 
You think how he would have drafted Jerry Rice? Jerry Rice ran a 4-8. I had a faster 40. Ran a 4-8 at the Combines. Okay? Bill Walsh went like this. This guy's hands are too good. I don't ever remember Jerry Rice getting caught in games. <laughs> Why he ran a 4-8 at the Combines, I have no idea how that played out like that. Okay? Yeah, well, Bill Walsh got John Taylor in the third round. Dude. So, again, person, you got to win big games. And I agree with you guys. Dak, this is the year of pressure. Dude, there is more pressure on Dak Prescott than any quarterback in the NFL, and that includes Aaron Rodgers. Because he plays for the most famous franchise in American sports, the Dallas Cowboys, on the number one network, on the number one sports league. He's got to win. Um, look, I, I, I look at, and here's, here's this, Michael Gallup's got to play better. For the Cowboys to be in a conversation to beat the Eagles, Dak's got to have a turnaround year. Gallup's got to be better, and the defense has to stay where they were a year ago. Now, they're going to have a tough schedule, too, the same way that the Eagles have. Okay? But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Dallas has to win games that matter, dude. And it can't just be the Eagles. You know what's funny? The, the Cowboys are built to beat the Eagles, and they have. Whether you like to hear that or not, those are the facts. That destroys you. They're almost non-competitive games. But then he turns around the next week and does what Tone says. And then lays an egg against the Jets. A bad Jet team a couple years ago. Or only puts up three points against the Saints. Okay? I mean... They're just not consistent. Consistent. They're just not good enough in big games. They're just not good enough. Where the e- see, here's the Eagles' heartbeat. Here's the Eagles' heartbeat in a, in a season. Right there, playing at their level all the time. Never, very rarely do they drop down to an opponent's ability. They're more up here. They hang out here. Here's Dallas. Can't win championships like that. You got to play at an even keel, man. Now, again, again, if injuries on your team are going to drop you down sometimes, obviously. But that's not what that case is. You know how Dallas gets beat? Dallas gets beat with inconsistent play, inconsistent play calling, overpaying players. Because you know why? The, um, the, 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 who was, what was the name of that guy, the linebacker they gave all that money to? Jalen, what was his name? They gave him all that money, and he turned out to be a gigantic turd. Okay? Uh, Dally Green says that I said Dallas's D-line's better. Yeah. Yeah, it is. They got better ends, and they got better tackles. You may, at the end of the year, have better tackles, but we don't know yet. 
you're going into the season not knowing shit. I know what they did last year. That's, they were fourth in defense last year. They weren't horrible. Okay? They were not horrible. Okay? Jalen Smith. I, that's it. Jalen Smith. Thank you, Izzy. They weren't horrible. Okay? Their defense is... They got a Super Bowl defense. July 27th, keyboard. So, overall, again, this is the year of Dak. This is the year of Dak Prescott. Okay? All right. And as I just told keyboard we're 15 days out from training camp and we've been going after position rooms and talking about position rooms we're two weeks away this is crazy great give me your assessment and how you look at the eagle cornerback position room right now before i get started tell me um how do you look at their corners going into 2023. I've got a synopsis on about four of them. And, 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 I, and I'll say this again to you guys, and I said this yesterday, I'm getting more of an appreciation for the roster having going over these position rooms more in a positive note that I think you are a little deeper than you are. I didn't think you were. And there's question marks, but... I'm, I'm getting a better sense of the roster, except for special teams. So I'm getting a better sense, okay, that you're, 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 you're a little better in the depth department than I thought you were, okay? I think you're better. Um, Eagles, I think they may use Keely Ringo at safety potential next year. Second behind Miami, Jalen Ramsey and the other guy on the side. I think Miami does have some pretty good corners. I think Dallas's corners with Stephon Gilmore and Diggs, I think they're in that conversation too. I think, hey, I'll tell you this. The Jets corners, they may have the best corners in the league. I think the Jets, they're young. But I think that the Jets, according to Pro Football Focus, have two top 10 cornerbacks. And so their room, in my opinion, looks pretty good too. The Jets... The Jets look like they have some pretty good corners up there. All right. Let's start it with Darius Slay. And I'm looking at the Eagles cornerback room. 2023 is we're two weeks away from the start of camp. Um, Darius Slay. Darius, you know, and talking with Kevin Colbert, Darius Slay has been an absolute pro in Philly since he came over from Detroit. He's been a great player. Pro Bowls, all pro. Um, he Overall, his time in Philly, he has been and lived up and exceeded expectations. He's got awesome hands. He got nicked up a little bit last year, I thought. Especially towards the end of the season, which may have hampered him a little. I thought he ran out of gas a little bit. Now, here's the one thing that I think why you have a problem with Matt Patricia and with Darius Slay. Matt Patricia doesn't see Darius Slay as a man cover corner. He sees him more of a zone cover corner. And that was the rub in Detroit. You got to remember something. In New England, they don't play really a lot of zone. 
They play man cover. They're, they're a man cover defensive football team. That's been a mantra of theirs since Belichick has been a coordinator when he was with the New York Giants. That's something that he believes in. He Again, paying a guy $15 million to play center field, I mean, that's what you're asking him to do. Um, he really does make good plays. And he's not the most physical guy on the planet, but he's a pro, and he knows how to kind of move guys around back there. He doesn't really get... He doesn't really he he doesn't get confused that bad out there. I think some of the defensive play calling put him in a bad position last year, especially in the Super Bowl, that kind of saw him not look his best. And I think that was more on the defense than anything else. And that was more on Gannon's play calling. Okay. Um no, I'm, I'm, to me again, the reason he was traded from Detroit is because. He couldn't play man coverage in Detroit. That was the rub. And that's why Slay has an ass with Patricia because Slay obviously probably thinks he can play man coverage, but he was never or rarely asked a year ago to play man coverage. This year, Desai has got to decide whether or not they're going to play a little man coverage. They played very little a year ago, but they didn't have to. You're not going to play zone coverage against Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. You're not. You've. This is another reason why Patricia was brought in. He's a man cover corner guy. He believes in man. If you leave that zone, yeah, I don't know if you agree, but if you leave that zone coverage open underneath with inexperienced linebackers, the quarterbacks you're playing this year will eat you alive if you don't get home. You can't leave the middle of the field. How did the Super Bowl look in the fourth quarter? If you have a guy playing center field and no backers that can cover, you're in trouble. Because this year, you're. that's why Dak eats you up. Dak eats the Eagles up because he knows they can't cover. You can't. Dak had his worst year and threw five touchdowns against the second-ranked defense in the league because of the style of play. Okay? So you're going to have to get home. Last year they did. This year it's better teams. And that's a great take right there, Greasy. Slay's got to be more He's got to be more consistent throughout the entire week, okay? And he's got to be consistent all season long for them to be really good this year. James Bradbury was your most consistent, and speaking of that, cornerback of the season. Um, awesome hands and feet. Um, he, he had a better season, I thought, than Darius Slay. Um. He can be turned around a little bit back there. I thought one of the most disappointing things I saw in the Super Bowl with him, how much Andy Reid confused him with Juju Smith-Schuster and some of them other guys. He, he got turned around in the game. And especially on them wheel routes, he was getting turned around. And they were finding the open spot in the, uh, in the zone. They, he, 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 the receivers were open. And he was getting turned around. But Bradbury's a good player. 
He he is. But he can be turned around a little bit. I think he's more physical. And um, I actually like the player. I think the Giants made a tragic mistake letting this guy go. He can play, man. He's, he's a good football player. What's your guys take on Avante Maddox? I'll give you mine here in a minute. And I had a pro personnel guy tell me about him. What do you guys make of Avante Maddox? He's kind of like a Swiss Army and Swiss Army knife. What do you what do you, what do you make of Avante Maddox? What do you think of him? Okay. What do you, what do you make of Avante Maddox? What do you think of him? Yale goes. I like him. He gets hurt a lot. Maddox is a beast. Maddox is steady. Best tackler corner we have, in my opinion. Bradbury is way better than Slay and knows how to tackle, unlike Slay. Less productive, Tyrone Matthew, a honey badger, gets nicked up. Mateo loves his hybrid role. Here's my takeaway, and you guys tell me if you agree or disagree. Um... Talking to about three people, I asked them to give their evaluation on him. Then I watched him a little bit, and I watched him on YouTube, and then I watched him on a couple 22s. And here was my takeaway. He's quick. He's explosive. He's a little guy. He's got short arms. He's not going to be involved in a ton of interceptions. He's just a little guy. And those short arms prohibit him from really being a great corner when you've got to get punches on some of these electric wide receivers like Justin Jefferson. He'll never be a starter because he's just his arms are too short. And when you're small and you're a smaller frame guy, hey, by the way, he's explosive. He um, He's quick. He's a quick twitch guy. All of that is true. He's an athlete. Absolutely. But his physical... His physical attributes don't help him at that position. Okay? They just don't. The guys with he's always going to get beat on 50-50 jump balls. Okay? He will always be beat because it's a physical mismatch when you're looking at Avante Maddox. Now, is he good enough to be on a team? Absolutely. Is he good in depth? Absolutely. Do you put him in special teams? Absolutely. Does he belong in a 53-man roster? Absolutely. But does he belong in a starting 11? Absolutely not. Because he can't hang with these wide receivers in today's NFL. guy like DeAndre Hopkins would eat that guy up. He could be the faster guy. He could be the quicker guy. But he's not going to outjump him. A.J. Brown would destroy him in a game. He's just not big enough. And that's his, that's his downfall, is that he just wasn't made big enough. Um, it's just, his physical attributes prohibit him from being a star player. Okay. He's good. Now, would you try to move him around depth wise, try him a little bit at, uh, free safety, put him back there a little bit, put him in a slot. Maybe he's just, again, when it comes to jump balls, if I'm a quarterback, I'm going to target him. 
and I'm going to put my number one on him, and I'm going to throw the ball up, and he's not going to beat that wide out. The two wide receivers on the Eagles would kill that guy in coverage. Would kill him. Anybody that they play against, he's going to be attacked if he's a starter. And again, it, it's he's a good athlete. He's a good player. He's a good tackler. But, but when it comes to jump balls and covering the elite guy, dude, you know where you put Avante Maddox? You put him on the second wide out, third wide out maybe. You don't put him on the one because he's not covering CeeDee Lamb. He's not. And again, you guys know what I think of CeeDee Lamb. I think CeeDee Lamb's a good player. I think he's above average. I think he's like right there at the bottom of the 10 spot. Would I take uh, would I take Devontae Smith over CeeDee Lamb? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not, depending on how I'm feeling that day and how well the players are playing. I think it's that close. I think one week you could pick Devontae. I think the next week you could pick CeeDee, whatever you wanted. So I think, the, but I think they're 10. They're right there at 10. And those two guys would kill him in a game. They, just throw the ball up. So Maddox is good in depth. That's how I see him. Okay. He's a quick dude, man. And again, explosive to the receiver. Jump balls, he's not getting it, though. It's not happening. Keely Ringo. And again, we're looking at the cornerback room for the Eagles as we're 15 days out from training camp here. And Keely Ringo, here's what, here's what I look at with Keely Ringo. Strong, physical, and you know what he's really great at when you watch him? He's really great at the catch point. He's really great when both guys go up and you know what I mean? And I'm going to tell you what I think makes him and separates him a little bit more from other guys that were drafted this year. He's very aware where he is when he's in when he's in the air. He knows where he is close to the sidelines. You see him doing it in the game and going up. So he's got great presence and field awareness when he's in the middle of the catch point. He knows where he's doing He's that's that I can't tell you how athletic that is for you to know where you are on the sideline, look up, go here, and to know that whether or not the ball is going to be an overthrow where you have to be a defender or whether you have to bring your other hand up. Because you know what happens when you bring your other hand up? There's a chance the ball goes over your head, guy catches and takes it in for six. That's a gamble. And he's got really good field presence where he is at catch point. That's an important asset to have, okay? It's important to have that. He's outstanding on 50-50 balls. And what you love about this kid, he played in the Southeastern Conference. So he's gone against Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, uh, Judy, all these guys. He's played against them all. He's practiced against elite guys. The kid Pickens, George, all these guys that are stars in the NFL from the SEC, he's played against them. So already I know the competition level that he's played against already. He's got a, he's had success against some of the elite wide receivers that were in college. 
And as Callie said, the guy runs a 4-3. He's outstanding on 50-50 balls in the air. Outstanding. Like, my opinion, Keely Ringo, if Slay starts to fade, I'd start slipping him in there. I'd start putting his butt in there and getting some reps out there. Now, you got to remember something, though. If you put Ringo in at CB1, he's going against Jefferson's. He's going against um, the Diggs's up in Buffalo. He's going against those kind of players. And he's going against the Jalen Waddles and the Tyree Kills. So you put him in that position, he better be ready because that'll be on the coaching. If they put him at CB1 and all of a sudden he's lining up against Justin Jefferson in week two, dude, I, I don't know if I want to put him in that position yet. Okay? He's, he, I don't know if I want to put him in that position. Maybe I'd put him in for Bradbury a little bit, move Bradbury over to one. And, you see, if, if Slay gets hurt, I'm moving Bradbury to one, and I'm going to bring Keeley up to two because I don't want him lining up against the one guys yet. Now, if his play starts to get to a point where he's the better-looking corner, then he may make that move. But I want to get him matriculated into the league, and having him going against some of these elite wide receivers this year, I don't want him to get into a position where he all of a sudden is not practicing technique and he's going against veteran wideouts. CD Lamb's on him too. You got a bunch of really great wide receivers this year that you got to play against. Okay? And I agree with Yale. The only time I'm putting him on CB1 is that there's massive injuries at the cornerback position. Um, he's athletic as hell. Now, here's the only problem that Keely, that Keely Ringo has. He's not real flexible in his hips, which means this. Like when you're, when you're turning and you watch some of these cornerbacks that know how to get back in a back pedal, his back pedal is not the hottest. So his flexibility to get back into coverage um, will be something to think on. Now, if I'm Andy Reid and I know this and I watch it early in the game, and I watch that this guy can't get back into his position quick enough, I'm going to do a lot of three-step drop on him. And I'm going to try to do quick hitches on him, see how he responds to it. And if he can cover, then good. Okay, that's good for the Eagles. If he can't, that'll be a problem for him in his career until he improves on that. So he's got to get a little bit better in his hips. And that's turning back to get back to your position. So, you know, that was a scouting report thing. And when you watch him on film, you see it. So can he get better at it? I think more reps. I think more flexibility, more training. I think you can work on that. I don't know if he'll ever be, because that's an athletic movement. So he just looks like a big muscle guy sometimes playing a cornerback position. You know, I, I, I would not have a problem if they felt this. You know, why don't we put him at free safety? He's big enough. He's quick enough. He's a hitter. He's athletic. You know, if, if you want to move him to free safety, that's not, that's not out of the realm of possibilities that you could put him in a free safety spot. Okay? So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of good with that. And he's, he's somebody that I would think about depending on how he looks and how it is when he's covering somebody. 
So here, all in all, the the Eagle cornerback room, you think that could be why Howie hasn't pulled the trigger on a safety move yet? I, I think that's exactly why. Because I think they see him. See, I think they look at Avante Maddox and they look at Keely Ringo and go like this. Well, Maddox isn't the best and biggest guy, but do you think we can get away a couple weeks having him back there if there were an injury? I think they think that. And by the way, like I said, quick, explosive. Who knows what a guy even with limited physical ability can do at a cornerback position when given more reps. See, that's the key to this thing is more reps. Avante could go into this year and with all the physical disabilities that he has, going against some of these ones, at the end of the day, he's still explosive, he's fast, and he's athletic. You just maybe more reps helps him. If you follow me here. And Ringo, you slide him over to safety. See, I think they're going to probably put Keely Ringo in a safety position at some of these organized team practices. And I think they're also going to do that in some of the exhibition games. I think you're going to see him at both corner, and I think you're going to see him at free safety. Because I think they look at him and Keely and go, can you imagine this? If you got a starting free safety in the third round and you just move them over, again, that's scouting, that's development, that's looking at the player, where he fits best to give us the best op- opportunity for success. That's also going to be up to Sean Desai and also going to be up to Matt Patricia, how they see him. Do, do they look at Keely Ringo right now and see him and Sidney Brown as their future free and strong safety? Do you look at Sidney Brown and Keely Ringo as the future safeties of the Eagles? I think that's a debate. I think that's a debate. Now, you get paid more at corner. We all know that. So the players probably still want to play the corner position. Sydney's a safety. Now, do you go like this? Are these two guys my future at free and strong? It could be a debate. Here's what my takeaway is of the group. I think it's a really good group, okay? Limited physical, but not athletic with Maddox. Ringo is somebody that could be important to the future of the team. Bradbury, consistent. Slay on the back nine. Can you get one more year out of him? I think so. All in all, I would say this to you that the Philadelphia Eagles have the best cornerback room in the National Football League. I mean, their room, I would put that, they would have the best with depth and with star corners. You probably, you clearly have the best cornerback room in the NFC East. You clearly, in my opinion, have the best cornerback room in the NFC. The Jets, the Dolphins, in my opinion, I would put the Cowboys still below you. But I would say that the best the best cornerback rooms are Miami, the Jets, 
And I would say the Eagles. And I would put it this way. There's better teams this year. There's better receivers. That Dolphin room has played. Again, you got to remember, Jalen Ramsley was destroyed last year. Then he was hurt. He had the worst coverage of any corner last year. Is he out of gas? Yet to be determined. Yet to be determined. Okay? I think the Eagles have the best cornerback room. I didn't say defensive backfield. I said cornerback room. Okay? So, that to me, that to me tells me that they're going to get a lot of production. But I still think they got to get home. They still have to get home. I think Kansas City's coming up as well. Kansas City's corners, they're very young. They're, they're rookies. And they're coming up. And they're getting better. All right, hour number two. Please hit the like button. Keep it here on the National Football Show. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. And the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit. And the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. The greatest fans on earth. It's a bold statement, but would you expect anything less from Philadelphia? 58 years of heartache creates a toughness, a grit, a resolve not found in most. Sure, our prayers were answered, but now that we've had a taste, we're looking for more. Pondley Hockey, official partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. All right, did you know I was the mommy slam dunk champion? Really? Yes, really don't sound so surprised. Let's see it. Oh, you're ready. All right, here we go. Let's hear the crowd. So go to right, go to left. Fake a mom. Mama, go. Oh, mama. She did it. Again. You can't avoid gravity, but United Healthcare can help you avoid financial surprises by helping you compare costs and doctor quality ratings. United Healthcare. Uh-huh.
E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. So if you're the New York Giants, do you sign Saquon Barkley before the start of training camp? Do you sign him? I'm not giving that guy $14 million. I'm not doing it. Here's what I do. I take that $14 million. I go sign DeAndre Hopkins. And I go out and sign Dalvin Cook for $18 million for both players. See you, dude. Nobody in their right mind is going to give him $14 million if he goes on the open market. Not one NFL team would give him that number. No one. He's injury prone. Um, He's a good ball player, but that position is not valued at that. You're looking at paying wideouts. Running back is not a premium position. I am not. They want premium money. If the look, if the giants do this and overpay Daniel Jones and overpay the quarterback, you're doing everything that Dallas is doing wrong. This makes no sense. No sense. Dalvin Cook has had a better career than Saquon Barkley. He's a better player. Look at the numbers. He's a, he's a better ball player. He's carried the ball less. He's been injured less. He's got more gas in the can. He's a year older. Okay? I'm not, and and I get to pay Dalvin Cook five million bucks instead of paying nine million dollars more. Okay? Come on, man. The Giants are in a position where if you're going to go, you're going to either be the Cowboys or you're going to build your football team correctly. Barkley's injury prone. How about this? He's as hurt as Miles Sanders is. And you're going to pay 14 million bucks on that. No way. No, thank you. Not happening. Okay. Just doesn't make sense. Look at Arthur here. And once again, Arthur telling you half the story. It's not a premium. Finally realizes Bijan was not the right move. At $1 million, asshead, he was the right move. Jesus, criminy. Once again, doesn't see the reality of it. You draft a guy. You put him back there. He's a great back. You pay $1 bucks for him or $2 million for him because he's on a rookie contract. How dumb can you get? Absolutely dumb. It's financially responsible, and he's a great player. And he's young. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So you want to pay for a guy who's injured 14 million bucks, and you're going to put $60 million in two guys who one's hurt all the time and the other guy you're not sure of. 
Hey, that's the New York Giants way. Barkley is not a $14 million a year guy. He's just not. Okay? Sign Cook and move Barkley to Houston or someone who has a shitload of picks. And get the draft picks for next April so you can get some wideouts in the boot in the room or whatever. Not paying $14 million. Where I don't have get this. The Giants don't have a wide receiver to speak of. They got a tight end. Here, here's the New York Giants, so you know, Eagle guys. You got a tight end the Giants are counting on who's been injured the last two, three years. You got a running back who's injured two of the last three years, and you want to pay him $14 million. And you got a quarterback who had two games, and he gave him 46. And you think your head coach is a star coach. Well, we'll see. Really? You're going to put all that money into players with all those question marks and their durability. Do you know that the tight end is the highest paid tight end in the NFL right now? So get this. Think about this for a second, Yale. You're going to pay $17.5 million for Waller, for Darren Waller. You're going to pay $14 million for Barkley. And you're going to pay $46 million for the quarterback? And all three are question marks. You want to know why the Giants haven't been good in 15 years? There it is. That's why they're not good. Those decisions, okay, those Arthur-type decisions are exactly why the Giants are in the position they're in. Okay? Sills, you thought the New York Giant coach was a star. No, Bob, I said he had a star year, like your quarterback. He's not a star yet. He had a star year. We're getting there. We're getting there. Okay? We are. We're getting there. Um, let me go here with Dallas Goddard now. We're getting here where guys are going to have to get their ass kicked a little bit here by big sales. And Dallas Goddard's one of my favorite Eagles. Dude, you're now starting to sound like 49er guy. If we play 10 times out of 10 on, on good footing, we beat the Chiefs. No, you don't. You're not good enough to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. You're not good enough. You're not good enough to overcome the coaching and the quarterback. You're not good enough. When they can beat you with a lesser team and you have the greatest roster in Eagle history and you can't beat them, you're never beating them. You're never beating them. Get that through your mind. The roster you have now has some great upside, but it's not the roster of a year ago. You're a lesser of a team, and you think you're going to go in the arrowhead and beat them? It's not happening. And if I play 10 out of 10, if the field and the surface, that the same surface that the Chiefs played on, what an absolute dumb branch to walk out on. You know, it would be one thing 
if the Chiefs played on a different field. But they played on the same field the Eagles played on. And they came down from 10 points back to beat you. And you're going to say something like that to give fuel to something where someone looks at you and goes, now you're making excuses up for the incompetent play in in the fourth quarter. Now you start getting shots thrown back at you. Bro, play better. You guys didn't play good enough. You didn't coach good enough. You couldn't overcome Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes with nobodies. They beat you with Juju Smith-Schuster. Case closed. There were three significant players on the Kansas City Chiefs. Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones, and the quarterback. And you couldn't stop those three. Three guys beat that roster and the coach because your coaching staff is inexperienced and it showed it in big games. That's right. I wish they could leave the Super Bowl in the past. It is what it is. Next season is a full swing. Look, it's it's good to be fueled by it. But to go public and go, well, if we played those guys 10 out of 10 times, we beat them. You've played them two straight years and you've been beaten by them. How do you how do you justify that? How do you justify saying that if you played, get this, look how stupid Dallas Goward looks. He looks like an asshole. You've played them two years in a row and were beat. And get this, they beat you at Lincoln Financial. Your own surface. Your own surface. They came to your field and beat you. And then you turn around and say, well, if we play 10 times, we beat them 10. When you've lost two in a row to them in two consecutive years. Dallas, I'm very disappointed in this guy. Seriously, man. You can't justify your comment when they've come to your ballpark and beat you and ran the ball for 238 yards on you. They've outplayed you in a point where they had to have a comeback in the Super Bowl to beat you, and they did. And they beat you in your own barn. Danko's clearly a problem with the field. What was the problem in Philly when they beat you? Hey, Dank, was there a problem in Philly when Kansas City beat them too? What's the problem there? What's the excuse why they beat you in Philly? What's the excuse? What's the excuse? Give me a good one why... Kansas City beat you in Philly. You weren't as talented. You were last year. You were the more talented team. Oh, I see. So last year, the year before, you weren't as talented. Then you became more talented. So now it's the field. Wow. Holy shit. This is embarrassing. I'm going to move off the topic. 
because you're embarrassing yourselves. You're totally embarrassing yourselves. Guys, stop. You're embarrassing yourselves. One year, you're not as talented. Here's excuse one. The next year, it's the field. You're 0-2. If we played 10 times, we beat you 10 out of 10. You're embarrassing yourselves. Stop talking. Okay? You're embarrassing yourselves. Mm. <sighs> Alexander, you're right. I'm going to because you know why? You're too good a fan base for this. Alexander, you're right. You're too good a fan base. And I'm not going to continue to go here. You're right. Okay? You're right. Too good a fan base to get beat up like that because you're not. I, I was always under the assumption Eagle people don't make excuses for losing. Bruce got you. We will. All right. We won't be broaching that topic ever again. Okay? Because we're not giving anybody off ramps any longer to make jerks of themselves. Let's talk about Sirianni here for a minute. Let's talk about Nick. You think Nick is here 10 years? Do you think Nick Sirianni is a guy that will be here longer than what Andy? How about this? You think Nick Sirianni will be here longer than Andy or as long as Doug? Okay. How long do you see Andy Reid being here? How long do you see Andy? You th you think you think you think um Carl that he he stays here like Andy like a 10 plus year career. Longer than Doug? Five most Andy Reid, okay? So some of you look at him as a long-term fixture in Philadelphia. I think he's exactly kind of what the front office I think he's more in line to what they're looking for in a head coach than what than what Doug was. Okay, six years, hard to say. Lots of lots of time. Longer than Doug? Okay, let's... What type of career do you think he's trending towards? Being more like Doug Peterson or more like Andy? Who does he have the characteristics of? When you look at Nick Sirianni. People better be careful. Things can turn on you quick. We saw that happen to Doug. True. Absolutely. The organization turned on Doug. And, and to be fair, Tone, the organization was the first to turn on Doug. And then the fan base turned on Doug. Half of them. The organization turned half the fan base against Doug Peterson. 
with the way that they were operating and the fighting and infighting that they had between the general manager and the head coach. And the fan base picked a side because from what I've learned covering the Eagles over the last couple of years, I would make this point to you. Hey, half like Doug. Some didn't like Doug. Some thought he should have went. Some thought he shouldn't have went. Well, that's the organization splitting the fan base down the middle to divide you, to weaken you, so that they could make a decision to fire him. And it was planned to do that. That's always when you know an organization is going to fire you, when they split the fan base. And the fan base either chooses or says it's time to go, like they did with Andy. That's when you know the writing's on the wall. You see that everywhere what an organization will do. Like, look at what's going on in New England right now. They're laying the seeds that if Kraft has to make a strong decision to move Belichick upstairs, Belichick is saying one thing publicly and Kraft is saying another thing publicly. Those are the seeds that are being spread out now and will determine how this plays out this year on what Bob Kraft's next move will be in the offseason. So... You'll always know when they when they divide the room. The front office divided the Eagle fans on Doug Peterson. Nick will be here as long as Hertz continues to process and progress. Um, Greasy, that's totally, it's the psychology of being able to move off of a legendary coach or a guy who's delivered something. To, hey, for them to be able to move off Doug Peterson, they had to divide the fan base. They couldn't sit here and have the fan base be in love with a man that delivered something that the city hasn't seen since 1960 without a reason. Well, in fighting, quarterback decision, quarterback's not playing well, roster moves, questioning wins on Monday if you win 17-14. Constant meddling in the game day Sunday roster on who plays and who doesn't. Don't you understand? When you become more of a micromanager on your, your head coach, the writing's on the wall for you because the coach is going to bitch. And it became Howie versus Doug. And that's how they fired him. It's Surely you know this. That's how you get rid of people. You divide your fan base, your season ticket holders. I'm sure what the outcome of this season will be, but Sirianni must, I'm not sure what the outcome of this season will be, but Sirianni must get through this season unscathed. If the Eagles flop, all eyes are on him. Um, yeah, because they've, hey, if you could fire Andy Reid and Doug Peterson, Nick Sirianni's not safe. You understand that. Nick Sirianni has not built up the equity those other two guys have. You fired a coach that won a Super Bowl, and you fired a Hall of Fame coach. If you could fire those, those guys were fired. And there's arguably the two most successful coaches in the history of the French. Outside of Vermeil, you fired the two most successful coaches in the history of the Eagles. Sirianni safe? I don't think so. Okay. Nick has to perform every year because he's as interchangeable as a cornerback. That's why he doesn't get it. See, 
I, I really disagree with a lot of people that say that he has say over his coaching staff because he does not. The coaches are handpicked. So truly, Nick Sirianni being the player coach that he is, you thought he'd piss one of his players off by bringing Matt Patricia in. How many people actually believe that Nick Sirianni hired Matt Patricia? So what? He could piss off one of his players? Why would he do that? You really think that's his decision? That was an organizational decision. They make the calls. He doesn't do that. That's totally because they don't know what they have in Sean Desai. And because you're going to be playing against AFC East teams. You're going in week one against Belichick. You just don't know what you got in your coordinator. Okay? So, personally, again, here's, here's how I see Sirianni going into this year. Of all the coaches, now, they've, they've kind of insulated him. Why? Because he didn't hire the coordinators. He didn't hire them. And again, all you have to do is go back to the Super Bowl press conference. When he said, when he came to Philly, hey, the first thing I had to do was introduce myself to all my coaches. Those were his words. The coaches were already in place. They were hired by the front office. I didn't know many of the coaches that were here. I had to introduce myself. His words. Okay? Am I wrong? Those were his words at the Super Bowl press conference. Okay? They had the coaches in place when they hired Doug. It's so crazy to think. So really, you think Nick Sirianni has any say over what coaches or what players get drafted to this organization? You're out of your mind. Now, do I think he's built more equity up? I do. But here's why Nick is going to be a better coach than Doug. To the Eagles, will he have the same success? That I don't know. That goes back to what Tone said. Okay? Here's what he knows, though. And we've, we've spoken of this. He knows how to play the game. He knows if you win, you get more say. Who in their right mind is going to trust a coach? So get this. Think about this for, for a minute. There's some people in here and in the media in Philly that believe that a coach who's never had a head coaching position in his entire life and is as young as he is, has the experience to hire assistant coaches when he's only been a coordinator and a position coach for six years. You think that guy has enough knowledge to run the Eagles. You're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. Why do you think Sean McVay hired a guy like Wade Phillips? He hired the most experienced coordinator he could possibly find. But guess who did that? Les Snead and Kevin Demoff. It wasn't Sean McVay. They hired that guy. You know how I know that? John Gruden told me. 
Why? Because Sean McVay was the ball boy for the Buccaneers six years earlier and a quality control coach in Tampa. Do you know what that is? Go get me a crumb cake and coffee. But he can hire assistant coaches, right? So a coach with that least experience has a treasure trove of assistant coaches that he can hire out of your mind. That's why a lot of the old coaches back in the day had and were given. You know, Do you know why coaches, certain coaches get Hey, I never thought, hey, hey, Tony, I guess people didn't know this. Why do you think certain coaches get hired over and over again? Why do you guys think certain coaches get hired over and over again? Do you know? And and again, it's 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 got a race face to it too. Sure, okay, because it's the same bums. But but why do you think? Because these guys have connections to assistant coaches, and to really being able to put together good staffs. And having the right assistant coaches with them. They have that coaching, as Tone, as um, Yale said, they have a coaching network where they can get Vic Fangio to come in. Or they can, they can get Brian Schottenheimer to come be my coordinator. Because they've worked with Holmgren. They've worked with Mike Shanahan. They've worked with some of these other guys. Why do you think you see a – here, this is what you got working on now in Philly. Do you understand – that the Philadelphia Eagles, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Indianapolis Colts, and the Arizona Cardinals are all tied back to Frank Reich and Doug Peterson. All the coaches, and now maybe even the Browns. The Browns are a little bit of that too. You're going to be able to pick from those coaches, Sirianni's coaching ability to be able to find certain coordinators now is expanding. It probably goes back to Andy. Probably goes back to Andy. Okay, if you want to go back that, probably, because Frank Reich didn't, I don't think he ever worked for, but Sirianni worked, Sirianni worked for Frank in San Diego when he was the offensive coordinator. Nick was the wide receiver coach. And then they brought all those guys to Indianapolis when Frank was the head coach in Indy. And Mike McCoy, if you remember right, I told you this story. Mike McCoy was the head coach of the Chargers. Well, Mike McCoy now is on the coaching staff with Doug Peterson in Jacksonville. And Frank worked for him. This is all of the networks where you get your assistant coaches from. And when you have a guy who's 26 years old and never been in a system long enough, you don't have connections and a network of coaches that you can go to. Organizations know that. That's why they have the control, and that's why you see so many young faces at the coaching position. You don't see old coaches getting hired anymore, do you? That's by design. Coaches like John Gruden, and those old coaches, they're dinosaurs. You see the Stefanskis, the Gannons, the Steikens, guys with no experience. 
But that's what organizations want because they have more control over the roster and the assistant coaches. It's totally by design. They believe in the sabermetrics. The National Football League has gotten more to that instead of gut feeling on drafting. That's why the Brandon Staley's, who's that? You're not going to see the Mike Martz's being hired any longer. You're not seeing any of that. You were never going to see a guy like Lincoln. As much as WIP bullshitted you and told you that Lincoln, he was never going to be the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Financially, he wasn't in the, in the works, too. He made $10 million at Oklahoma. Not happening. Okay? So, again, now, but Nick, Nick has been told and groomed by Frank. You want this? To, Frank Wright recommended him to you. You didn't. Hey, here's a hey, hey, tone. Here's another case of Eagle fans trying to change the narrative of Nick Sirianni. You fucking hated him. You hated the hire. Now you love him. Same as your quarterback. Because you didn't know him. Frank Wright, the first time he came on this program, told you he recommended Nick Sirianni when they were doing the Carson Wentz trade. I said, you recommended him. He goes, yes. I said, who'd you recommend him to? He said, the owner. Right here. He recommended Sirianni. And then the ball began to roll for him to become the head coach. Frank Reich recommended him. And Frank said on this program, he got to remember something. Philadelphia has a different way of doing things. The front office has a lot of say. These are Frank's words that worked in an organization. And by the way, Frank also admitted on this program, he was going to be the offensive coordinator if he didn't get the Carolina Panther job. Facts. You can have all the crazy-ass theories and opinions. I bring people that were in the room, that know the room, that coached in the room. There's no opinion here. I'm telling you what the guys that worked for him won Super Bowl for you and conference championship for you said here on our program. You can think he has say, you can do I'm telling you what it is. Andy suggested Doug. Okay. And Frank suggested Nick. Okay. No, from what I understand, the owner of the Eagles asked Andy about Doug, and then Andy signed off on him. Said, yeah, no, he, he should get an opportunity. Okay? Isn't it funny? When the Eagles went away from using that system of hiring coaches, they land on Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly wasn't a bad coach here. 
He just made poor personnel decisions. And he didn't know how to run an offense because it destroyed his defense. Two 10-plus win seasons. Got you Lane Johnson, brought Jeff Stoutland in. Numerous things that still affect. And by the way, he got rid of football players that had no bearing on your 17 title game. I know some of you guys disagree me with me on this, but whether or not Shady McCoy or Dexter Jackson was on the team had no bearing on the team winning the Super Bowl in 17. They did nothing with those players anyway. And when they dumped them, got rid of them, they won a Super Bowl three years later. I don't know. Didn't seem to need them that bad. And they got cheaper. Now, is it a shitty way to handle people? Yeah, sure. But when you see Jack Dexter Jackson or Shady McCoy talking shit on Chip, at the end of the day, dude, three years later, they won a Super Bowl. They didn't need you. And years prior to that, what were you doing for them trying to win a Super Bowl? You didn't win one. They won without you. The whole collection of you guys, actually. So you could say whatever you want about Chip dumping those guys. At the end, three years later, they won a Super Bowl. Shit, man, maybe it was two years later. Was it two years later you won a Super Bowl? So you gave it all those guys and two years later you won a Super Bowl. I don't know. Yeah, but those were some of my favorite players. I get it. Jerseys on the name on the back, favorite colors and numbers and all that. I get all that. I totally, you fall in love with some of your players, but at the end of the day, those guys had no bearing. Zero on your winning a Super Bowl. Zero. And he hired the second best coach, maybe even the greatest assistant coach in Eagle history next to Jim Johnson and Jeff Stoutland. Say whatever you want. And again, do I think Chip was a good NFL guy? No, I do not. But he wasn't the train wreck you paint out. Because some of the moves they made affected your 2017 Super Bowl. Lane Johnson's in the building. Some of the other draft choices they had. Okay. Was he a jackass? Yes. Did he wear his defense out? Yes. Did he think you could run 85 offensive plays in an NFL game? Yes. All stupid for sure. He's a college guy. Okay. Yell goes, you need to get along with people. You mean like Belichick? You mean like Bill? There's no doubt his bedside manner and his ability to be able to talk to his team was a complete result in his lack of success. And to go to the college ranks is always a joke. Very few times, you got to remember something. Pete Carroll didn't have success first. In the college ranks, Pete had a winning record with the Jets and the Patriots combined. Then he got fired in New England. Then he got the Southern Cal job. Then he, did, hey, you guys know the story? He used to hang out with John Wooden, and John Wooden said exactly what Yale said. Hey, 
you don't have to actually totally 1,000% get along with your players, but they have to respect you. And they have to believe what you're telling them is the truth. They have to believe you have their best interest at mind. And his bedside manner was totally a problem. I'm not disagreeing with that. That's what makes him a college coach. Same with Nick Saban. Hey, how about this? Chip Kelly had more success in Philly than what Nick Saban did in Miami. He was a better NFL coach than Saban. Do you ever think of that? Chip Kelly was a better NFL coach than Nick Saban. (laughs) Somebody go, no, he wasn't. (laughs) He was. He was a better NFL coach. Had a winning record. Chip's way was not sustainable. You can't run 80 plays. You can run 80 plays when you got a 100-man scholarship roster. Okay. Do me a favor. Don't forget. Hey, by the way, 60 names have been mentioned for the Hall of Fame today. I want to talk with Jason Cole. That'll be at 5.30 Eastern time. Hit the like button. Keep it here on the National Football Show. run wild and time stands still because here you can find the best of the Jersey Shore all on one five mile island so leave the old you behind and get lost in the woods at Southeastern PA in Delaware with Colony Pools this football season. And let the experts close your pool with a custom Merlin safety cover in green for the birds. And if you join our winter watch team, 
We'll give you another 20% off, and Colony Pools will handle it all. Keep your tiles on your pool, not in your pool. Fly with Colony right now, Birds fans. Visit flywithcolony.com. Hi, everybody. My name's Jason Lombardi. I'm an inspector at DryTech. At DryTech, we offer three major services, the first one being basement waterproofing. The second service we offer is foundation and structural repairs. And then the third service that we offer is mold remediation. If you feel you're having a waterproofing issue, give DryTech a call or check us out online. E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. Finalizing that deal for King of Prussia for Hooters. So, looking forward to that. Big Seals is going to be getting out of the Dan Cave and Cilio Studios. I got to leave. Could, you guys don't know if I do. Hey, hey, Tone, do you guys know if I do my show with no pants on? How, how do you guys know I don't do my show with no pants on? How, how do you know that I have pants on? Do you, do you know? Do you, do, do you know if Trunk Cilio is doing his show with, 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 with pants on? How do you know that? You don't know that. Right? Alexander's like, hey, Sills, okay, I don't want to throw up, <laughs> okay? Fly goes, you probably don't. That depends. If I had a big meal the night before and I'm having a little agita, I don't know. Maybe I won't wear pants one day. I don't know. You know, there could be a point, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Right? See, but then again, this is always remember this. This is always a rule in our house. Everybody wears un- everybody wears underwear, and nobody goes to bed, bed nude around here. That's not going to happen, okay? Everybody's got drawers and uh, pajamas and everything. That doesn't happen, okay? Nobody's nude around here. It's not going to happen, okay? I don't need to see coolions or anything. Not working for me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Not it. Hey, everybody wears underwear around here. Or a dinner jacket. I don't know. Hey, um, so before I get to this topic here, so one of the most disgraceful things I've ever seen in my entire life has happened. I thought I'd never see this. One of the most disrespectful, disgraceful things in sports history has happened. Um, and I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to recover from it. I saw something today that was the most disgusting thing of all time in sports history. It could actually bring a tear to my eye. Um, the greatest Jersey uniform in American sports history sold out to an insurance company and there's now an advertising patch on the pinstripes. 
I'll say it again. There is now, Mateo, thank you, an advertising patch on the New York Yankees jersey. Moment of silence. You put some insurance company I've never heard of on the Yankee pinstripes. Look, kid growing up, you got to understand, when you saw the Yankee pinstripes, like some of you, when you see like the Phillies gear or you see like the Eagles, Kelly Greens and all that, I'm, you, it's sacred to you. Dude, you, let, let me, let me, hey, yeah, let me, let me give you a moment here in my life. So you guys know Robustelli and my history with him. So I get to go to an old timers game. And this was at old Yankee stadium, Yale. Um, the one in 74, right before they renovated it. And the Yankees had to play at Shea for two years. I'm sorry, I don't know why I whispered, but the Yankees had to play at Shea for two years before they retroed the old place. I have no idea why I'm whispering. I have no idea. But the old stadium had like piss-colored seats. Okay? I, I don't know why I'm doing that. Okay? So I get a chance to go down into the locker room. There's Mantle, DiMaggio, Ford. Barrett, it's an old timers game. Robustelli walks in, everybody's in there. Hey, and yeah, the and then there's Mickey Mantle and everybody in the room. There's um Hank Bauer, Roger Maris, and I'm sitting in here going like this. Munson came in. They're all talking, you know. Billy Martin's there. There's Mickey Mantle and DiMaggio talking to one another with Yogi. And I'm sitting here going like this. This is unbelievable. I became friends with Bobby Richardson. Bobby Richardson used to come on my radio show all the time. And because of Robustelli, Bobby Richardson, you guys probably never heard the name Bobby Richardson, but he was an MVP in the World Series and they lost the Yankees. And he was the MVP. Mazeroski shot that beat New York in game seven. And he, if I'm not mistaken, Oh, yeah, I must have been 10 years old. 10, 11, something like that. 10, 11 years old. And hey, what, what, hey, yeah. So Bobby Richardson went on. I think if I'm not mistaken, he went on to become, yeah, now I remember because he, when he was doing a radio show with me, Richardson was the baseball coach of South Carolina Gamecocks. And then his son in law helped start the Coastal Carolina baseball program. They actually want to, They actually won like a national championship. So Bobby Richardson, I think he left baseball at 30. Okay. He left baseball at 30. And, um, you know, he, and I became friends. I was friends with Bobby Richardson for the longest time, man. And there's Richardson. That's how I met him. I met him through Robustelli. 
And I used to get them on my program all the time. So, yeah, and you're down in that dugout there, and you see that uniform, man, and you're down at Yankee Stadium. You see all the – you saw where Garrick's locker and Babe's locker was. To put a logo on that is ridiculous. But, hey, it's what it is, right? It's, 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 I guess that's where baseball is headed now. Um, I want to get back in. We're going to open the top of the hour with, hey, Niner, are you in here? I need you. I need Niner. I'll tell you why. Hit the like button. Jason Cole, 530, 60 names were released for consideration to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That was released today. We will talk to our friend and get his opinion on some of those names. And no, Eric Allen's name is not on it. Okay? Why? Did the Eagles make enough of a pitch? The guy in your market doesn't do a good enough job for Eric Allen. He's not pimping him enough. Your media does not do a good enough job. You know, you guys were talking, you know how you guys were talking to me the other day about Donovan McNabb being a Hall of Famer? Bro, Donovan McNabb has no chance of getting into the Hall of Fame if Eric Allen can't. He has no chance. You have the lamest people pushing these players. Lame. Lame. You can't push Eric Allen across the table? Well, then they don't respect you. I know I know people and writers in San Francisco that got Fred Dean across the line. Do you know Fred Dean? Fred Dean's a Hall of Famer. You think he's better than Clyde Simmons? I don't know. Fred Dean? Better than Clyde Simmons? Man, I don't know. Or Claude Hump, well, Claude Humphrey's in. Right? Dude, that Domovich, he doesn't do a good enough job for you. Hour number three. Keep it here on the National Football Show. Imaginations run wild and time stands still because here you can find the best of the Jersey Shore all on one five-mile island. So leave the old you behind and get lost in the woods.
and save at Southeastern PA in Delaware with Colony Pools this football season. And let the experts close your pool with a custom Merlin safety cover in green for the birds. And if you join our winter watch team, we'll give you another 20% off and Colony Pools will handle it all. Keep your tiles on your pool, not in your pool. Fly with Colony right now, birds fans. Visit flywithcolony.com. Hi, everybody. My name is Jason Lombardi. I'm an inspector at DryTech. At DryTech, we offer three major services, the first one being basement waterproofing. The second service we offer is foundation and structural repairs. And then the third service that we offer is mold remediation. If you feel you are having a waterproofing issue, give DryTech a call or check us out online. E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles Big Sales National Football Show Power Hour number three Jason Cole, the list just came out a few hours ago on who's being considered and the 60 names 60 semifinalists named for the class of 2024 and contributors. No Eric Allen. Um, I'd like to look over this list with you here before we get Jason on. Ken Anderson, Hall of Fame quarterback. Cincinnati Bengals. Remember, I'm on a panel. I'll be asked by about 30 of these Hall of Famers of the 50 vo- voters. So I'll be asked, um, Ken Anderson, Hall of Fame quarterback. I believe there was an MVP. I think he was really good. I think he was really good. But if you're asking me what I put him on my five guys, to consider for the Pro Football Hall of Fame? No. Otis Anderson, Rookie of the Year, MVP, led the NFL in rushing his rookie year, Super Bowl MVP, two-time Super Bowl champion, 10,000-plus rushing yards. It's O.J. Anderson, a Hall of Fame player. Um... I think, I think, look, I'm biased. I'm biased here because he's a cane. So he's got the, he's got the accomplishments. He, he's got the accomplishments. Super Bowl MVP, NFL MVP, Rookie of the Year, Offensive Player of the Year, 10,000-plus rushing yards, and two Super Bowl championships with the Giants. I don't know, man. I think, you know... I mean, JM goes, he only had like four great years. Okay, well, how many did Terrell Davis have? And you're going to put him in because he got hurt? Okay, does that play part of the dynamic? Possibly. Same with Sayers. Um, Okay. Carl Banks. See, I look at Carl Banks, and I would say this to you. You think Carl Banks was better than Jeremiah Trotter or Seth Joyner? Do you think Carl Banks was better than Seth? 
You think he was better than Seth Joyner? Was Carl Banks better than Seth Joyner or Jeremiah Trotter? Hugh Douglas. Um, man, I think Banks was a great player. Banks was a great linebacker. I like Seth more. See, I do too. I don't know how you look at Carl Banks and not look at Seth. Okay, you probably look at Banks more because he's got two Super Bowl wins. That's probably why. Okay, it's probably why they look at him over Seth. And there's, you know, he played on the other side of the greatest linebacker of all time. Carl, buddy, even you think? Seth Joyner, Carl Banks? I wouldn't have a problem with that. Who would you take to build your team, Seth or Carl Banks? Wow. Let me move on here. Banks was a great player. Roger Craig, first player to go 1,000 receiving and 1,000 rushing. It was on those Super Bowl 49er teams. Man, Roger Craig was so underrated. I would make this point to you of all the players in the 80s and early 90s that played, I would make this to you that Roger Craig may have been the most underappreciated player in the league. He was a phenomenal football player. High knee kicks. Um, He was just a – he was the second best offensive football player on those 49er teams next to Jerry Rice and obviously Montana too, but he was the quarterback. Roger Craig, um, he is a great football player. I'm actually shocked he's not in. I would vote Roger Craig into the Hall of Fame. Um, Randy Gratishaw, fabulous linebacker with the Broncos. On that orange crush defense with Alzado. Um, boy, you know, there's another guy. I think Alzado's a Hall of Famer, but he won't be because of the juice. Lester Hayes, fabulous football player. Fabulous. Joe Jacoby, you know, I get asked him a lot, and I like Joe. We're friends. I don't think so. Like, would I go like this? Joe Jacoby. Is Joe Jacoby a Hall of Fame player? I think Jordan Malata is a better player than Joe Jacoby. I think I, th- I think Jordan Malata is a better ball player. I think Jumbo Elliott with the Giants was a better player. I think Jim Lachey was a better player than Joe Jacoby. So, I mean, I think Joe is really a great player. No disrespect. The guys that I named were really great ballplayers, too. Um, Billy White Shoes Johnson. Great name, special teams, always a tough one. Bob Kuchenberg. Cooch, Cooch played on three straight AFC championship teams. One was undefeated and two Super Bowls and was a seven-time or six-time Pro Bowler. How is Bob Kuchenberg 
who has since passed on, not in Pro Football's Hall of Fame. Um, in my opinion, Bob Kuchenberg should have been in about a decade and a half ago. Just a great football player, man. Um, Steve McMichael played on that really great defense in Chicago. Mongoose is sick right now, real bad, so there's going to be a lot of uh, people pushing him. Um, do I look at Steve McMichael and say he's a Hall of Fame? Probably not, but he's a really great ball player. He's just in the land of really great. You know, I don't, and I can't believe Tommy Nobis isn't in the Hall of Fame. Tommy Nobis was a fabulous football player at Texas and with the Falcons. And I'm a little bit shocked there um, that he's not in. Everson Walls? Probably. Probably. The contributors, Bud Adams, the owner of the Oilers. What did he do that was significant? I forget. He built the Astrodome, which is one of the very first indoor places to play pro football. Then the Kingdome came. Then you started to see more domes. So, you know, the first place to really play football indoors were the Oilers. But outside of that, what's the significance of what Bud Adams brought? Earl Campbell? Um, Bum Phillips, they were in the era of the Dolphins, the Raiders, you know, and the Steelers. So it was hard to win. They didn't have a lot of playoffs. I don't know. Tom Coughlin. Do you think Tom Coughlin, this is a good one here. Do you think Tom Coughlin's a Hall of Fame coach? If you had to have your if you had to have the coach, would you rather have Mike Holmgren or Tom Coughlin as your head football coach? If you had to pick between those two guys for the Hall of Fame, Coughlin or Holmgren, who would you take? I would take Tom Coughlin. Oh wait. Green Bay. He turned Green Bay around. After Lindy and Fani and all them guys. Then he goes to Seattle. They win there. Um, he started with Walsh in San Francisco. Coughlin was a Parcells guy. And I'm not mistaken, he's a BC guy. Jags and Giants. Then went back to the Jags. Um. Holmgren, way better. Coaching trees, probably better. You'd probably go Holmgren, I guess. I mean, I Tom won two Super Bowls. You, they, you can't just dismiss that. Um, He saved Brett Favre's career. Brett Favre was in Atlanta. So he saved his career. How about Robert Kraft? Robert Kraft belongs in the Hall of Fame. Wow, Elmer Layden's not in. Can't believe that. 
I am not going to vote for Virginia McCaskey. Rich McKay. He's been on the competition committee chairman for 20 years. That's his contribution. Was the was the general manager of the Bucks, and now he's the president of the of the Falcons. He's a friend of mine, so I'm a little bit biased. His dad, you know, you know, you know the cool thing about John McKay. John McKay didn't have to take the Buccaneer job. Look at what you know. People look at John McKay and they look at John McKay and they go, "Hey, the guy was a little below average NFL head coach, but as a college football coach, it was." It was Bear Bryant and him. Those two guys are like synonymous with one another. Bryant won more, but that guy, um, John McKay at Southern Cal, was a phenomenal head coach in college. Tremendous. John McVay, love John McVay. Sean McVay's grandfather. Helped build the 49er dynasty, was responsible, in my opinion, for five Super Bowls in San Francisco. Um, my uncle fired him as the head coach of the Giants when, when Andy was the GM of the Giants. So I knew him, John McVay. And then he went down and became an area scout for the Buccaneers for a while. Actually, it was the 49ers that he was in the Tampa area. He was an area scout for the, for the 49ers. Um, yeah, Barb, the Giants fired him. Robustelli fired him. Andy hired him, but then fired him. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, that's when then Andy stepped down and George Young took over. And that's, I believe, when they hired Ray Perkins. I think that's how that whole progression went. They brought in Perkins after McVeigh. There could have been somebody else in there, but I, I, I don't remember. Um, George Seifert, great run at San Francisco, horrible in Carolina. Marty Schottenheimer is a complex one. You know, Marty Schottenheimer is fourth all time in wins, but you know what he is in the postseason? He's four and 14. JM, he's got more wins than Chuck Knoll. He's got more wins. I mean, he's either fourth or sixth all-time in wins. He's got like 206 wins. I think in his 25 years of coaching, I, I, think, I, I think Marty Schottenheimer had one losing season. One losing season. He was a tremendous coach, but again, 4-14 four and 14 in the postseason. He always overcooked it. And that's always what got him in trouble a little bit here. Are you shocked when I bring this guy's name up? Art Rooney is not in the Hall of Fame. Look how long they waited to put Art Rooney on a list because of what happened in Cleveland. Art Rooney should have been in the Hall of Fame 25 years ago. He should have been in the Hall of Fame 25 years ago. But because the hatred from the city of Cleveland for what that guy did by pulling that team out and moving it to Baltimore was a scarlet letter for him for all the years since he's been out of Cleveland and since he's passed on. 
I can't I mean it's taken this long to get his name on a list where people feel comfortable now voting for him. But he brought championship football back to Baltimore. And after hey, this it get this. Yeah, here's the story. So people in New York, get this. I was told this story from Al Davis. So people in New York had put together a deal to keep the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland, and they had worked a land deal out with the city of Cleveland. And that early day, I think it was Taglaboo, they were working on this deal, and all of a sudden, they look up and there's Art Modell on the tarmac in Baltimore going that we're moving the Cleveland Browns to the city of Baltimore. And I think they played at Memorial Stadium for a little bit where the Colts used to play. And they were like, and, and everyone in Park Avenue was stunned. There's only two times they've ever gone back on owners to make a right or wrong. The first one was when Art Modell stole the Browns away from Paul Brown. You know, he ended up, you know, he was a minority partner with Paul Brown, Art Modell. And in the process, like in the mid-60s somewhere, he ended up being able to buy Paul Brown out. And he bought Paul Brown out and he fired him. Well, after he got fired, Pete Rosell came in and gave him the Bengals. That's how he got the Bengals. He got the Bengals because the NFL didn't want him away from the game. So guess who his offensive coordinator was? Bill Walsh. And so they they gave him that team. And as soon as that whole thing happened with the Ravens and moving the Browns to Baltimore, the NFL was in the process of giving. That current Browns team, that Browns team is not the original Browns. That's an expansion team. But what they did was Modell to move. All the records had to go back to Cleveland. And so he gave them all their records back. And so their history is now back. But at the beginning, the history was the Browns were in Baltimore. And the NFL convinced him to give it back if Cleveland was able to get a team. Yeah, man. That's an expansion team. The Cleveland Browns are an expansion team. And the Ravens are actually the Browns. So, but what they did by covering all that up was they gave them their history back. So, Art Modell, man, he absolutely went around all the, I mean, dude, he was more hated in the Park Avenue offices than Al Davis was. Um, Mike Shanahan, Mike Shanahan, a Hall of Fame coach, two Super Bowl championships back to back, ran Dan Reeves out, took the job, him and John Elway, got Dan Reeves fired with Pat Bolin, um, ran him out. Now it resulted in championships. Is Mike Shanahan a Hall of Fame coach? If you have to pick a coach, Mike Shanahan, Mike Holmgren, or Tom Coughlin, 
who do you take? You can only get one coach as a, as a contributor. You don't get all of them. You only get one. Who do you take? Coughlin? Yeah, the senior committee is Ken Anderson, OJ Anderson, Larry Brown, league MVP. Was Remember Washington Redskins running back Larry Brown? <laughs> 69 to 76, played in that Super Bowl against the Dolphins. Led the NFL in rushing. Mark Clayton? Yeah. Charlie Conley played with my uncle, New York. Played 14 years with the Giants, won in the NFL title in 56. Henry Ellard, I think Radishaw. Chris Hinton. Mike Ken, good player. Kuchenberg, I think, is. Jim Marshall. Clay Matthews Jr.? Absolutely not. Sterling Sharp? No. Otis Taylor, Kansas City Chief, he was a really good ball player. Al Wittstert, member of the all-decade team in the 40s, big ox for the Eagles. Two NFL championship teams, was selected first-team All-Pro four times. I'll have to look at him. You guys know who he is? Whitster? I, 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 I'm not, I uh, apologize. I don't really know a lot about him. I'm going to have to do some homework on him because I'll be asked by these guys. So this guy played with the Eagles. They called him Big Ox. Helped the Eagles to two NFL championships from 48 to 49 and was selected to the first team all pro unit four times. Consecutive seasons, 44 to 47. Beginning stages of the National Football League. League was around 25 years old then. Okay. Ellard. Okay. Ellard. All right. Real quick before we get Jason Cole on. I want to I want to say, Steve Tasker, I I, you know. You think Steve Tasker deserves to be in the Hall of Fame before um who's the who was the punt returner for the Bears? This is quite a list. These the, boy, these guys got really a tough decision to make here. And I love this time of the year. I love this time of the year. And look at the names that they have to consider here. Let's go to one of those guys that's going to be in the room, and Jason Cole. Jace, I appreciate it. The list is out. 60 names came out here. Mm -hmm. Anyone jump out at you, um, either a contributor or a, a player that jumped out at you? Uh, contributor, I would say Mike Shanahan jumps out. 
um, a lot. Bob Kraft jumps out a lot. Um, I think Holmgren's on that list too, if I remember correctly. Yes. But the, those those three, um, those would be the ones that I would I would look at first um, if I and, and you know look there's a lot of names on that list that um, that you gotta like all right you know Ralph Hay is in there for a reason and you know, some of these other guys but um, I would say that those three are the ones that that pique my interest when I just give it a first initial read. Let me let me stay in the contributors here. How do you look at Rune Arledge? Rune Arledge is important, uh, um, but that's sort of along the lines of is it Rune Arledge or is it Tex Schramm? Like, here's here's the issue. So, I would you rather have. stay with football people than TV people? No, no, no. That does. I mean, look, they're okay. both important. Okay, don't don't get me wrong. Like. Steve and Ed Sable are really important to football and have a, have a place there in the hall of fame. Okay. Um, because of, you know, what they did for the game. But when you talk about who improved coverage of uh, football and made it serious, I come back to, is that tech Schramm during his years when he worked at CBS before he came back into the league and, and worked for the Cowboys? Or is that Rune Arledge? You know, and I'm and look, Rune Arledge is obviously an important name in in sports television, don't get me wrong. But this is where I'm I'm sort of flummoxed a little bit by the by this. How do you go along with maybe the most controversial guy on this list and how you look at Art Rooney? Um, and not Art, Art Rooney, Rooney excuse or Art me. Modell. Art Modell. Art Modell, I mean. Art Modell, when the league had made it so that they were going to keep the Browns, and then they see him on the tar mat in Baltimore. He moves the team, the whole expansion thing, the rights go back and all that. He 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 got the team away from Paul Brown. The league and the commissioner gave the Bengals to, to Paul Brown because I mean. He's got well, a really real, forget, forget the machinations. Forget the machinations. And I had a long conversation with John Wooten, who's a John Wooten, who's a figure on this list, right? Who's pushing an important for, name. An important name on this list for his work with the Fritz Pollard Alliance. And he's pushing for Art Modell. Huh. He loves Art Modell. Because Mo, Art Modell gave, you know, did a lot for, for John. Right, you know, sure professionally, did. personally, you know, there is a very strong connection. But I just kept saying, John, like to me, it's it's just a no. Like it's, I can't, I can look, I can overlook a lot of things. But when you have one of the best followed traditional franchises in the league, and you mess it up so badly that you're essentially forced to to move your team. That's like, I, I can't reward that. You know, and, and look, Kevin Burns, a friend of mine who you know, worked for the Browns and, and the Ravens for a long, long time. Who's a big art model supporter. And I hear, I just hear this from the people who are strongly behind him. I, I agree. But, with you. but he tore their hearts out and, and that's, and that was that's a move that should not have been made. And you know, he, you can blame the people of Cleveland and the miscommunication of this and that. 
he did something that the Roonies would never do. Because the Roonies were able to the Roonies were able to get things done and keep the Steelers in Pittsburgh, even when the Steelers weren't very good. Right. Like everybody was, everybody thinks the Steelers have been great forever. Prior to 69, they stunk. Oh, they were all they were just horrendously bad. You know, for 35 years, they yeah. were horrendously bad. But they still managed to get a stadium built. Three, they still managed to get three river stadium built when they were horrible, right? Yeah, now, they got Hinesfield done as a result of being great. I'll give it, you know, and then you know, PNC Park, the whole thing. But they stayed and became more economically vibrant under the Roonies, even when they were awful. And you're telling me I'm supposed to reward Art Modell and put him in the Hall of Fame because he happened to invent Monday Night Football or, you know, what, you know, I, I just, I'm sorry, I, I can't do it. And never won, never really won. You know, they had a championship with Baltimore, but, and one championship prior, and, you know, yeah, but wasn't that Paul Brown in 64? Uh, that was – no, it wasn't Paul Brown. It was uh, the guy who took over for, for Brown. Blanton Collier? Yeah, Blanton Collier. Blanton Collier is the one who won the title because they had had their, they had had their war. Um, yeah, the other one, and, and, you know, I know that Jim Brown has said, you know, he got emotional about it. But you really forced Jim Brown's hand and you forced him to retire? And I'm supposed to like overlook that. Just like, too you much shit, right, Jason? With him, it's just it's like he's a really, really wonderfully nice man with a great sense of humor, can tell a joke. You know, good, good guy. Really, and from a writer's perspective, I wish there were far more owners like Art Modell. Right? You think that'll be an emotional uh, pitch? in the room when it comes to people that are going to, because it has been in the past. It's been a very emotional argument in the past. Like, like the people in Baltimore have to make the pitch because the people in Cleveland are surely not going to make the pitch. And his success was, they're they're, they're not going to make the, they're not going to make the favorable pitch. I can tell you that. (laughs) No, no. Right. There's just, I just, I'm with you here. When, when you look down at this list and I'm like, so, I mean, like Bud Adams, I mean, what's Bud Adams's contribution? The Astrodome? No, no, he he was a bad, he was he and um, oh, and he Lamar was one Hunt. of the original AFL owners, right? He and Lamar Hunt, you know, backed the AFL, okay, right? And he had the money. Bud Adams had the cash, and and the Oilers when they were first there were That's really right. good. They're the Oilers, an AFL are, are guy. The first, yeah, he's an AFL guy. So Bud Adams is, has. Bud Adams is important, and Bud Adams, like Art Modell, deserves a footnote in the place of history. Like, you should be writing, if you're writing the history of the NFL, you have to mention Bud Adams as being right there with Lamar Hunt in terms of having the chutzpah, the balls to start the AFL. He deserves that, okay? But the rest of his tenure is meh, you know? Like, that's... That's kind of how I look at it. Are you leaning to craft? Um, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say I'm leaning towards. I would just say that those are the names that jump off the page, right? And we had, look, we have another step in the process to yep. go from this to what whatever. And I'm not part of that 12 person committee to narrow the field yeah, down. Yeah, because that's the veterans. Yeah, that's a, that's, no, that's a different. The, um, that's the senior committee. It's a, yeah, it's yeah, it's a, it's the con- contributors committee, the seniors committee. They work. 
together essentially and they'll take care of that and get it down to the one or two nominees i can't remember if it's one or two this year and they'll figure it out and then i'll make my decision based on that but i don't i don't have a vote at this point in time let me let me ask what's your take on ken anderson me right he was an mvp i think well he was a, he certainly he set the the completion record at one point yeah you know, percentage and consecutive which are nice sort of they're bits of they're kind of bits of trivia to me um i think ken anderson is slightly a victim of the time that he played in because the 70s are so defensive oriented um but everybody talks about, well, yeah, he was this, he was this. And, was, and I'm like, okay, he played in the same system as as Montana, essentially, because he played under Walsh. And he did some nice things, but he never really truly took the Bengals beyond into greatness. He made like, them, if you he don't made think Phil Simms is a Hall of Famer, I'm not saying you don't. I'm just saying, if people don't think Phil Simms is a Hall of Famer, how do you think Ken Anderson is? <laughs> I just, I Look, mean, Phil Simms is a lot closer to a Hall of Famer, and he's a borderline guy. He's the kind of guy I think about. Jim Plunkett is the kind of guy I think about. Does he deserve? Does he deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? And, and the answer is probably not. I mean, that hurts because I'm a Stanford guy like Plunkett, right? But yes, those guys to me are better than Ken Anderson, um, and I would rather consider them. Than Ken Anderson, you know, they would be ahead in my line if I was if I was. Hey, Jace, I want I want to ask you a question here. Um, a, there was a debate going on in Philadelphia this week about Donovan McNabb. Um, Donovan McNabb, five NFC Championship games, won one, got to a Super Bowl, wasn't overly effective. But one of the things, um, and and again, I I don't believe it, but I look at the numbers. He's more successful than Dak. And the fact that he's at least made his team competitive in the playoffs every single year. And during an era where the completion percentage was 58%, he was right in the conversation there. How do you look at Donovan McNabb? If you look at his career and what he put up, 37,000 yards, I mean, yeah, look, is yeah, he a guy yeah. knocking on the door? Steve McNair was a better player in my view. Um, and he's McNabb won more. I mean, McNabb won more. I understand that, but winning is also like, did you just watch the guys play? When you watch the guys play, I would take McNair. You, uh, you would take McNair as a better player. Okay. And I, and look, I like McNabb a lot. And I have said in the past, he was on a trajectory to be a Hall of Fame player. And then he just crapped out at the end of his career. You know, his last, you know, two, three, four years are just not on par with what he did. And certainly the Washington seasons were, you know, just were, were not good at all. And so he didn't go out on high note, in my view, in any way, shape or form. And that's why at the end of the day, not quite good enough. Great player. You know, terrific career. Not quite good enough for this conversation, in my view. And yeah. and and look, Phil Sims, I mean, not Phil Sims, Philip Rivers. Okay. 
Philip Rivers had a better career than Donovan McNabb. Okay. And it's from a statistical standpoint. And I and personally had, think he's a better player. Right. Philip Rivers is a guy who I'm not sure about either. Eli Manning is a guy I'm not sure about either. Okay. So, you know, the this, last six years, he was 32 and 58. We're talking Eli. Eli. Yeah. But I mean, I would also say, you know, in his defense, okay. I see that and I understand that point and I wonder about it. And there's a lot of inconsistency inconsistency to his career. On the flip side, there are two Super Bowls and he held up his end of the bargain in New York and he was terrific in those Super Bowl runs. He was MVP. He was, he was, yeah, he was, he was excellent in those Super Bowl runs, right? Made big plays, big throws, you know, everything that you could ask for. Is that enough? That's the question I'm asking myself. And that's about Eli. So you put, you know, you put McNabb in with these set of quarterbacks, whether it's McNair, Rivers, Eli, um, you know, the set of guys, like it's a jumble when we start talking about it. And that's why I think McNabb comes up short. You think McNair will get consideration? He's been in the 25. He's never made it. McNair, surprisingly to me, has never made it into the final 15. And we have never, we have never discuss Steve McNair one time in the room, which disappoints me a little bit because I, I know that I have voted to, you know, keep him in the discussion. I don't know that I'm the only one. I'm just saying when we're asked about bringing guys back year after year after year, when they've been on the ballot, I have said like, keep McNair on the, on the big list that we narrow down, but he never makes it past the 25 into the 15. He has not. You know, I, I just was asked by my producer um, your your opinion on Shady McCoy, LaShawn McCoy. But I'll, before you answer, Jason, see, to me, why I don't think he is, is because you got a guy on this veterans list named O.J. Anderson, who was a rookie of the year, led the NFL in rushing his rookie season, was an MVP, offensive player of the year, Super Bowl MVP, and 10,000 rushing yards in a career. And like I said, those two Super Bowl wins, I mean – if O.J. Anderson is not in the Hall of Fame, LaShawn McCoy's statistics and his resume are not comparable to O.J. Anderson. I mean, O.J. Anderson. Well, let's put let's put up Fred Taylor, Ricky Waters, Sean Fred Taylor, Alexander, Sean Fred Alexander. Not and shady. Well, just you know, just a better player. Like just Fred Taylor, you know, and, I, and again, I like Shady McCoy. Don't don't take this the wrong way. But if I got to pick between Shady and Fred Taylor. Give me Fred Taylor. You know, I mean, Sean Alexander maybe a little bit close, maybe a little, a little bit closer, but Sean Alexander has some tremendous seasons in there. Um, and an MVP, if I'm not mistaken, right? He had an MVP. Yeah, Corey, we, and last week, look, Corey Dillon. Corey Dillon. Corey Dillon has a surprise, and, and I and I had to go back and look it up because he you know, too. Right, I had. I forgot how effective he was. Did you know he was almost a twelve thousand yard? He had more rushing yards. I'd forgotten about it. I I just forgot about how good Corey Dillon was. And part of it is, look, Corey Dillon was kind of a sour human being all the time, who wasn't really likable. If you if you know much about Corey Dillon, not real likable. Like those comments from him last week represent a lot of who he is. Right, he's and why he's not in even the Bengals ring of honor. Well, and, and, th- and this is not a popularity contest. No. But he just kind of got forgotten. 
you know, it, it is, you know, this sort of lost career. And so you put Shady in with that group of guys we're talking about. Like, I don't think Shady quite measures up. Like, I don't think he's as good as Corey Dillon. Corey um, Dillon had a 1,600-yard year in New England. And I, I, I went back, Jason, and I was like, Corey Dillon, he's just a dude. And then I look down and I see all those 1,000-yard rushing seasons, five yards, four, seven a carry. And I'm going like, holy shit, he's 11, 13? I couldn't yeah. believe he had more rushing yards than OJ. I'm yeah. like, holy shit. So it's got to be – Jason, how much – Well, then there's Ricky – you know, if Philly fans should be – and a couple of them have been doing this online. They've been talking about Ricky Waters. Like, why, why isn't Ricky Waters in there? And I started looking at the numbers again. I'm like, yeah, and I got to do a little more study. But like, there's a uh, – this is all to say there's a lot of guys in line at running back. And it's a very tough argument. Like, we haven't even talked about – like, Adrian Peterson's going to get in. Frank Gore is going to get in, I think. Maybe not first ballot, but Frank Gore is going to get in. Right? Like, those two right off the top. And then we get into this list of five or six other guys who deserve serious discussion. And I'm just sorry, but, you know, Shady is at the bottom of that list. Like, like Shady McCoy's not even in Eddie George's league, right? Eddie George is a hell of a player, man. Eddie George was a little, I mean, you know, as a defensive player, I'm not, yeah, no, I, I didn't play. But those, you, those you battles know, with Ray Lewis, those two guys going after one another. And well, yeah, but, but I'm just thinking, like, you think about, you look, if you've ever seen Eddie George on yeah. a field in shoulder pads and you go, I got to go tackle this dude. <laughs> it's not as fearsome as, as don't, it's not, you know, Derrick Henry fearsome, but it ain't far removed. Like he's a big man who's going to put the wood to you. Finally, Jace, what is the number one thing you look at when you're evaluating a player? There's so many variables. There's so many tangibles. There's so many numbers. There's so many everything. Is there one metric you use when you look at a guy and you go, this is why I put this guy in one sandbox and the rest of these guys over here. Is there one metric? No, there's not one. There's never there's never one thing. So it's situational. It. Yeah, it's situational. Like who are the guys he, you know, oftentimes who were the guys that he played with? What was the team structure? Was he in an incredibly positive team, you know, situation and not or not? Was it an extreme one extreme one way or the other? How does his production measure up against other people at his position at the same time? Like there's a bunch of things that you look at, right? That are metrics that are measurable, um, and then there's the 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 things that are not measurable. Like, look, I saw that guy play. Like, I saw Fred Taylor play. And if you let Fred Taylor get loose, you were going to get killed. Not he wasn't going to run over you physically, but he was going to make you look stupid, right? Like he was that good. Like in 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 that period, and, you know, unfortunately got injured a lot, and that's worked against him. But Fred Taylor was electric at times for a pretty. How, big how about this one? And I, I get. Well, let me add, let me add one last one before you ask that question. But there is a question of did you win? It's not the only important. It's not the last final thing. But the point of this exercise is to win. The point of this exercise is to win championships. And it's not fair to all all guys, but it's a tiebreaker a lot of times. Did you win titles? Did you impact the game? at that level where you were in big games on a constant basis. And I, and I, I consider that it's not by itself, 
So don't mistake it. Like, I'm not trying to say here that Phil Sims, because he won a Super Bowl, is a better player than than Dan Marino. Okay, Dan Marino was was amazing. Okay, I'm just saying that's part of it. And so I'm sorry, you had a question we're going to ask. If you got 50 some odd guys in the room, and in your opinion, do you take into consideration because Tio was such an asshole that you're not going to name him a first ballot just so that you guys make your point? Or do you think there's guys that made that point knowing full well he is worthy of that? But also, I would think if a guy was a tool to me and I covered him and he was a jerk to me, I don't know how human emotion doesn't play into that sure. when you're covering a guy and then eventually voting for a guy. Well, we talked last week, I think, or two weeks ago, we talked about Warren Sapp and, I, you know, yeah, completely. My Same reaction guy. on Warren Sapp. My reaction on Warren Sapp is, if a guy's a jerk, like I may not, I, I may not vote for him the first time. And I'm not saying that that alone determined it for a TO for me on the first time. I do. I I work really hard at this, and I talk to 400 people. You know, you're one of them. Yep. Right? Yep. And I and I survey those people. TO the first year that when I surveyed these people, TO finished eighth out of 15 guys. There was no big, like, oh, T.O.'s got to go in. Like, it was not overwhelming. And a lot of people think, oh, T.O., 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 this and that. Like, he's a great player. I'm not going to – and he was going to get in the Hall of Fame. But there are a lot of people who critique his play as less than perfect and that he was a number generator more than he was a Jerry Rice or more than he was – he was not Randy Moss. There's a he, there's a bunch of empty calorie years in that resume. Right. Now he helped people, he helped teams win, he made quarterbacks better, you know, all those kinds of things. And TO's in the Hall of Fame. But it was not a, as much of a slam dunk as you hear a lot of people say. It just the the wide opinion. And I know that those people oftentimes shout down People like me who say, hey, wait a second. Let's just think about this for a minute. You know, is he really that guy? I did that with Calvin Johnson. Now, Calvin Johnson got in the first ballot. Calvin Johnson is a, a freak of nature and, and played to it and all those kinds of things. But I sat there for a second and said, okay, Peyton Manning's on this ballot. No question about it. Charles Woodson's on this ballot. No question about it. I don't think that Calvin Johnson is necessarily as good as two other guys in terms of what he accomplished. So I got to think about this for a little bit. And so, you know, I ended up voting for Calvin Johnson and I felt good about that vote, but I hesitated just to make sure, like, am I right in my, in where I am about how I think about this guy? And Tio made me think even more. And I know that he's lambasted everybody for not being a first ballot Hall of Famer. And he probably, and he was angry that he went in. I know in my heart of hearts, I don't know, he's never said this, but he did not want to be on the same stage with Randy Moss. He did not. Why? Because Randy went on the first ballot and he thought he was better than Randy. He wasn't. No, he wasn't. He wasn't Calvin Johnson than Randy and Moss. Calvin Johnson and Randy Moss are the two most gifted, athletically superior players at that position than anybody has ever played in the NFL. And I would make the comment about Rice. Rice, you know, 
Yeah, what a bumpy start. Four eight and a forty in the combines. It was Walsh's insight that saw what he was going to be and who he could be. Oh, the work, the work, the Jerry Rice workout, the Jerry Rice work yes. ethic is made him. I mean, took a lot of a lot of you know the speed quickness thing. Took that from average to great to great, and the hands were amazing, and just the, the pure passion for the game. But if you drew up speed size quickness even jerry rice does not measure up to randy moss or even calvin johnson he just doesn't he just had he had the work ethic that took him way beyond that guy those guys and beyond anybody who's ever played at that position and he's so far out in front of everybody else that he challenges even jim brown as maybe the greatest player of all time let me add this in here to you god forbid Knocking on wood here. God, no one wants to see this. If Patrick Mahomes' career were to end today, would you vote him as a pro football Hall of Famer? Yeah, because I voted in uh, Terrell Davis. Um, And Patrick Mahomes has had, I don't think there's much debate, as great as as Terrell Davis' career was over a four-year period of time. Patrick Mahomes has been better over whatever the length of his career has been. Okay, I, I don't think there's much question about that. And plays a position that is more valuable. Okay, and has two Super Bowl rings. He's got every. He's checked everything off. The only way that Patrick Mahomes doesn't get in the Hall of Fame is if he just like tosses away the next six years of his career and does nothing and and obliterates what he's done. And I just that ain't gonna happen. Right? Do like, you think yeah. Andy Reid needed to do and have the success in Kansas City? For you to sit there and go, yes, he's a slam dunk Hall of Fame coach because what he did in Philly wasn't enough, in your opinion. I would agree. What he did in Philly was not enough. I mean, what he did in Philly put him on par with a, you know, a Dan Reeves, you know, like, which is, which is awfully good. Dan Reeves had a great career as a head coach. Don't, you know, go look at, go look it up. Put him on, you know, par with a Marty Schottenheimer, who again, go look it up. Marty Schottenheimer had a great career as a head coach, not Hall of Fame worthy, but a great career. Um, well, let me my- let me ask you about Schottenheimer, fourth all time or sixth all time in wins, yet four and fourteen in the postseason. But if you look at Coach Madden's record in the postseason, I think Coach Madden's eleven and ten. Now he was in the era of the Steelers. He was in the era of the Dolphins and all them great football mm-hmm. teams, and I know it was the golden age. But he also NFL. made the playoffs every single season. It was no, no, and he had a 741 win percentage. I get yeah. all that in the regular season. However, Schottenheimer, 25 years, and he's on the ballot for the seniors. But in 25 years of coaching, he's had one losing season. In all of those years, I mean, Jason, he's got more wins than Chuck Knoll. Yeah, he had a great career. But you There's don't a think he's a Hall of Famer. No. Wow, 200 wins. There's, 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 you know, I'm sorry. You, know, you got to draw a line somewhere. You think and Mike Holmgren's a Hall of Fame coach? I would love to argue over that case. I don't know. I don't know. I think huh. my, I, on that list, Mike Shanahan jumps out at me. If you measure his, his career – the two Super Bowl victories, how he improved players, 
the number of guys who are MVPs under under Mike Shanahan. Like Mike Shanahan to me jumps off the page as a Hall of Fame coach. Mike Holmgren deserves a thorough vetting and probably makes it because if you're going to put Bill Cower in, then I think Holmgren was a better coach than Cower. All right. So I probably, but I wasn't on the committee that put Cower in. So I'm going to that. end this with your opinion on, it looks like July 20th, there's going to be a change in ownership with the Washington commanders and it's going to be Josh Harris, yeah. Daniel Snyder's legacy as in it, we see all these owners now up on these lists here. His legacy, in your opinion, as an NFL owner, was what? Is he the worst owner in NFL history? Well, he's not Leonard Toast, right? Yeah. Phil, yeah. No, People he's not gambling the franchise away. <laughs> he didn't. Come on. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll do. Leonard was a good dude, though, man. I mean, he, he was a good. Yeah, dude. of course, he was good. It was a, it was a great dude. He was at the tables all the time. He was having a good time, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, you know, would Phil, you consider Snyder the worst owner of all time, though? He's. Whew, that's a good case because he was there for a long time. I mean, whew, he he's pretty wretched. Um, I mean, like, you know, like, how do you qualify that versus, like, a Victor Kayam or, a, you know, like, Terrible you know, like, guys like that. But for, but for a guy who owned a team for a long time. But let me let me finish with this point about Dan Snyder, which tells you a lot about how great Roger Goodell has been at his job. Dan Snyder, as much as he single-handedly has been awful and alienated every human being alive and just – destroyed the, the 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 legacy of the redskins slash commanders right he Completely. just tore it all apart and you know the the season ticket Even list Preston Marshall was better Ooh, don't go there that's that's a, well that's a you know what word. I mean as a football yeah I know guy. what you're saying I understand he wasn't a, Dan Snyder's not a racist like George Preston Marshall but right. I get your point I get your point um all those things right and he drove down revenue by, I think, 33%. Like, there was some figure in ESPN where he went – they were at, like, $3 million in local revenue, and they're now down to, like, $180 million in local I know. Revenue. It's terrible. He's, like, gone completely backwards. Yep. But think about it this way. He invested a billion dollars in that team, and he's going to get $6.05 billion for it. That is how good the business is in the NFL, that you can be a complete – crap owner make less money turn fans away drive them away from the stadium okay alienate the politicians so much in the washington area that they refuse to build you a stadium you can be that big a jerk bag that huge and you still multiplied your money by six times he should be kissing roger goodell's behind Every single day for the rest of his life. That is how good Roger Goodell has been at, at prop, propping up the value of NFL franchises. Absolutely. Chase, I love you so much, man. What a great time. I love talking Hall of Fame. I so appreciate it. And I'm very Anytime. privileged to be part of that process with you that you helped me uh, become part of. And it's, it's an honor that you ask me that stuff. So have a great weekend, my friend. Thank you so much. Anytime, dude. Be good. Home.
Don't forget, too, by the way, folks, his book. Make sure, okay, go to Amazon. Great stuff as always. We thank you so much. Do me a favor. Please hit the like button. Hey, um, Daniel Snyder, the worst owner in NFL history. That's his legacy. Xander, thank you. Big Joe, thank you very much. Our friends at Hooters, King of Prussia, we're coming for you. Thank you so much for all that. Tone, keep up the great work. All of you, thank you so much. Till tomorrow, 3 to 6 Eastern, we shall see you on the flip side. Imaginations run wild and time stands still because here you can find the best of the Jersey Shore all on one five-mile island. So leave the old you behind and get lost in the woods. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.